0: Thank you for joining Marianne and the professor. Uh, today, I am joined by Dr. Steve Pelleck, uh, founder and chief uh, scientific officer of Conexus, uh, professor at UBC Department of Medicine, um, founder of the Canadian COVID Care, or one of the founders of Canadian Care Alliance, COVID Care Alliance. Uh, so Dr. Steve Pellet, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today.
1: Well, it's always a pleasure talking with you, Marianne.
0: So I'm going to launch right in. And I'm going to ask yeah. you, what is the most compelling data that concerns you today?
1: Well, the data that I've, I found the most interesting, um, and I am getting data on all these different aspects of the COVID-19 pandemic situation from legal through to the scientific, but I think the data that's come out of the United Kingdom, which is posted on the public health website there, it's uh, tracking all cause mortality um, over the since actually April of two thousand and one. They have probably the cleanest data that I've seen. In, in this data set, what they look at is the 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 deaths, the total number of deaths, which they've also kind of looked at the component that's actually COVID-19 deaths. Now, it's not clear whether this is with COVID or or from COVID, but at least we have a number there. But what they've done with this is they've correlated those deaths with the vaccine status of the population. And they've been very careful to, for example, one of the biggest concerns we've had is that when we look at People who are unvaccinated, I prefer to say non vaccinated, that are unvaccinated. If you were vaccinated and you got COVID in the first two weeks or three weeks, you were considered an unvaccinated case. And so in this data set, they've been very careful to avoid mixing the data from people who've been recently vaccinated, but not considered fully vaccinated yet. So they'll wait till about two weeks after the vaccination to then count them in that group from the unvaccinated. Now, when you look at the data over the course of, uh, since April 1st to the end of December, 2022, what we see is that early on, there we do see an adjusted per capita. So this means that, an age adjusted, this means that the data that, that you see is actually uh, taking into account the fact that many people were not vaccinated early on, because when you look at total numbers, you can be confused. But this is for the actual number of people expressed per 100,000 had the same situation. So when we see that, we actually see that the with COVID-19 deaths, there is a reduction prior to Omicron in the number the chances of dying from COVID if you were uh, unvaccinated. So there is a higher risk. However, it's not that much different from someone who's had a first dose of the vaccine. And what really is intriguing is that once Omicron came along at the end of um, really December of 2021, what we see is that there's actually no difference between people who are vaccinated once or twice with someone who's actually been double vaccinated. And then after that, what we've seen since then with all these new Omicron variants that have emerged is you are at a lower risk of dying if you're unvaccinated or the same as someone who's been double or triple vaccinated. Now there is a slight um, benefit in for people who are triple vaccinated at least from the data that's in the set. And so in that that sense, it looks like you do have some protection from the vaccine for a limited period of time. And this will be in terms of the deaths that are recorded. Now, what's disturbing is when you start to look at all-cause mortality. So this is gonna be a situation where we're now looking at where the bulk of the deaths are occurring. So we're, we're seeing, for example, Uh, deaths that are going to be at least 10 times higher than what we're going to be seeing from COVID. And so when we look at that data, it's, it's absolutely striking. You see that prior to Omicron, that if you were vaccinated once, you were at a much, much higher risk, at least a five to six fold higher risk of dying than if you were unvaccinated. I'll say that again you're at a five or six-fold higher rate of dying in terms of all-cause mortality if you were vaccinated once. Now, during that period of time, with the second shot, there was some protection initially, but by the time Omicron came around, you were actually with a second dose about three to four times more likely to die than if you were completely unvaccinated. And since then, what we're seeing is that even with the triple shot of the vaccine or more, there's no benefit uh, really after April of, of you know a year ago of even being triple vaccinated in terms of all-cause mortality. And you're at much higher risk of dying, at least two to three-fold higher, if you were s- single or double vaccinated. So, so this
0: so this fits with the testing that you do at Conexus, where you're looking at uh, immunity, and you're looking at unvaccinated or uh, and one vaccine, two vaccine, three vaccine. Does this fit with the testing your your testing results, looking at people's immunity who have well, been vaccinated? It,
1: it, it does tie in because this data really starts in April of two thousand and twenty-one. But in our testing of people, we started that in March of 2020. So the issue here is that in our tests, we find that 90% of the people actually got COVID within the first few months of the, of the pandemic of December, 2019, January, February, March, three quarters of all of our participants, we've had 4,500 people in our study now or we've been measuring their SARS-CoV-2 antibody levels, they were all infected early on. So what that means is when these people, uh, about a year later, now a vaccine becomes available and they take that vaccine. And we we know in these individuals that their their state of immunity has lasted for up to two years of having antibodies and even more. So, So what happens is what we're seeing is that the they already had been infected they already have an antibody response so when now they're producing spike protein at at where the levels of the spike protein is in the quadrillions of copies of these spike proteins on the surface of their own cells they're getting an inflammatory immune attack against their own body and it seems as though the people that are most sensitive are the ones that are dying especially from the first shot so so, this is probably why we're seeing increased all-cause mortality, but we're not seeing them die necessarily from COVID nineteen itself. They're dying from everything else that's happened as a consequence of their immune system attacking probably their own tissues. So, so does
0: that, that does that explain then uh, the excess mortality in that's highly highly yeah. va- vaccinated populations? You're seeing higher excess mortality, would you say it's fair to attribute that to the vaccine?
1: Well, I think there's going to be a number of factors that come into play for what's responsible for the all-cause mortality, and it's going to include things like the effects of the lockdowns and not seeing a doctor as regularly and the stress of perhaps losing your job, perhaps you know being ostracized from family and friends. All of these do affect your immunity as well and how well you respond to these other disease conditions. But I think we have a mechanism here where we can understand how some of this damage occurs. So at the Canadian COVID Care Alliance, we've recently interviewed um, Dr. Burkhardt and uh, Dr. uh, Michael Palmer. And so so in the case of Dr. Burkhardt, he's a very established um, pathologist, German pathologist. It looks at tissues from people who've died to see, well, what did they die from? And so, uh, along with his research and Dr. Moitz and some others, which's been published in the literature now, what we're seeing is that people that have been vaccinated, that have died, that have been autopsied, that even nine months after their last vaccine shot, they're producing spike protein in their tissues. And when we look to see in those tissues, well, where where was it that the spike protein was produced? What we're seeing throughout the brain, the the spleen, the liver, uh, all these various organs, that we can can see the, the expression of the spike protein still nine months later, and that we have the infiltration of immune cells and the damage from that infiltration of immune cells, especially in the um, circulatory system with the, the, ves- the, the uh, cells that are surrounding, that form the blood vessels, we can see the damage that occurs to that, that sometimes it's so severe, you'll get a rupture of those blood vessels, which can cause things like stroke. So I was interested in some of the data that um, Dr. Mons, uh published, Where he was looking at a 75-year-old that had died of he had Parkinson's disease. He died about three weeks after his vaccine shot and of course we we were able to see the spike protein produced in the brain of this person and we know it's not due to um, the SARS-CoV-2 virus infection because when they did parallel studies to look at another protein that's found in the virus a nucleocapsid protein There was no evidence of any nucleocapsid protein. The person didn't have any evidence of SARS-CoV-2 infection in terms of his symptoms. But this person also had, that had died, this this 75-year-old, he also had the spike protein produced in his heart, in the heart cells and the infiltration of lymphocytes in his heart. So this is again what we're thinking is an underlying mechanism for myocarditis and uh, perimyocarditis. So this is really where you have an inflammatory attack against your own heart, either the outer outer muscle or the inner muscles. And what's interesting is the BC Center for uh, Disease Control in Vancouver had done a survey that they published a few months ago where they looked at the rate of myocarditis. They didn't have they had some limited data for people who had their third shot with the, uh, with the um, COVID-19 vaccines. And you know what's kind of intriguing is that they concluded from their study that, that this shows that the risk of myocarditis was very low if you got vaccinated. But when you actually look at the data, what the data shows is that if you're 18 to 29 years of age, and you're a male, and you get a Moderna shot, your chances of actually getting myocarditis that's symptomatic, and bear in mind that for every symptomatic case, there's probably at least three to four asymptomatic cases. So the same damage occurs, but you haven't had an episode that's put you in the hospital.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So anyways, the risk is one in 1900 if you're in that group, of having symptomatic myocarditis or pericarditis. Now, if you had the Pfizer vaccine, they had the data for the 12 to 29-year-olds, for example. They had many other age groups as well. But this group, the risk was about 1 in in about 7,700 with the second shot. But the risk went up even more if you had your third shot. And the problem with the Moderna data that I told you, that the 18 to 29-year-olds, is they didn't have the data for the 12 to 18-year-olds. For some reason, this particular age group, and they had them in various groups right up into the, the, the 80s, this group, which we know is the most vulnerable to getting myocarditis, is actually excluded from that study for some strange reason that's not explained. So, I mean, these are some examples of some of the things that I've read recently that gives me great concern of the uh, continued encouragement of the government of Canada and BC to people should be getting their vaccine shots still. And uh, now other regulatory agencies across the world, Denmark, Sweden, Norway, Finland, the United Kingdom, Australia, parts of the states like Florida, they don't recommend any vaccination of children. And some of these jurisdictions don't even recommend vaccination of anyone under 50 years of age, if they're otherwise healthy.
0: Well, then why is the Canadian government and the BC government still pushing vaccines, even the first and second shot, which sound like they're at best damaging, maybe life-threatening, What's going on in, in Canada and, and in B.C.?
1: Uh, I can't explain it. I mean, we had a, about a, what was it, a billion dollars worth of, of the vaccine that was destroyed, basically, or sent to other countries because they expired in Canada because we had purchased them, but, but people didn't really want them. I mean, the good news is that, that less than 5% of the children are under five years of age in Canada are vaccinated parents are not doing it. And there's a great deal of hesitancy in terms of pregnant women, which is I think really a good thing. Um, from one study that I had done recently uh, as a reviewer for a publication, the a meta-analysis was performed where they were looking at, at, well, what happens in the outcomes of mothers that are vaccinated in terms of their children? And and what's interesting is there's nothing in the scientific literature that I've been able to see that's clear that there's increased miscarriages. So there's a lot of people that are seeing this, that are reporting this anecdotally. But in terms of a scientific literature where there's a formal study to analyze this, I have not seen that. But what I do see is that the if you're vaccinated, and pregnant, there is about a 10% increased risk that you'll have to have a C-section. There is about a 10% risk of increased gestational diabetes, and there's about a 10% increased risk that your delivery will be delayed by a few days. Now, we have no idea what the long-term consequences are in terms of the development of the child, both in utero and, and after they're born in terms of like especially cognitive development and these things. But the babies are being born roughly as normal, just slightly delayed. And and if there's gestational diabetes, the babies get a little bigger, that might account for why you have more C-sections and why maybe there's a slight delay in the delivery date of the babies uh, for vaccinated uh, pregnant mothers.
0: Now, what what do you think I've heard in Europe? I'm sure it was Germany, but maybe it was France. They report that their birth rate has dropped 80%.
1: Yes. And that's a there very
0: populated population. So why is the birth rate dropping? 80% drop in birth rate. There's got to be something going on.
1: Yeah, I, I haven't heard numbers that high, but I think the overall birth rates are clearly dropping in many countries around the world. And... But the problem is it's hard to equate that necessarily to the vaccines uh, it specifically because when you have all these other events occurring, like if, if people are unclear, well, what's the future? You know, Is this the right mm-hmm. time to have mm-hmm. a child? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think part of the explanation is there are effects on, well, at least two, two documented effects in multiple studies that have been shown. So one of them is that at least 40% of women who are vaccinated have menstrual issues where the periods are prolonged or they're delayed. So that's going to affect, you know, conception to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. Secondly, Mm -hmm. we do know that male fertility in terms of the number of sperm that are in the semen is actually declined by about 15%, 10 to 15%, depending on the study. Now that rebounds after about three to six months. so that's that's that might affect you know part of the fertility race. in this this case, it would be recoverable. Um, so, but is there long-term consequences of the uh, vaccines? Well, since we know the ovaries are one of the key organs for constr- controlling, the menstrual cycle, the, the, the hypothalamus and the pituitary and the ovaries produce hormones that regulate this process, then we know that the ovaries probably are affected. Now, when they did the biodistribution studies with the lipid nanoparticles that was done originally in the data that was submitted for actual approvals in Japan and, and Europe and Canada, United States, that that distribution studies showed that the ovaries was one of the main targets of concentration of the lipid nanoparticles, and therefore likely the production of the spike protein. And I've talked to um, pathologists and others about this, that if you do have the production of the spike protein at that location, and you have an inflammatory attack by the immune system, would the oocytes that are present in the ovaries be at jeopardy and mm-hmm. they conclude that it, they would be and so a a baby girl when she's born actually has all the oocytes that she's going to have in her life and then when you run out of oocytes with each period you lose some but many most of the oocytes will just naturally die off until such a time after about 400 periods you no longer have any oocytes, then if you're causing damage to the ovaries early on, you'll have less oocytes, which means that you will go into menopause sooner. So Mm -hmm. we don't know. I must emphasize, we do not know whether this is a problem or not, but one could anticipate it being a problem in view of an inflammatory attack against the the ovaries. This could be a consequence.
0: Well, it seems to me, uh, jumping back to excess deaths, there's a very interesting interactive map that I uh, was able to look at and work with, and it showed in countries around the world the excess mortality, and there was a direct correlation with excess mortality, meaning more deaths than you would expect, yeah, serious exit and vaccination status. Yes. Now, that doesn't take a rocket scientist to connect the dots here. There seems to be some connection between vaccine uptake and excess deaths in those countries. There, It, it was across the world. You look at countries that have very low vaccine levels, vaccine uptake, very low excess deaths, or non-existent. Heavily vaccinated populations are seeing massive excess death increases, as Edward Dowd is kind of pointing out. Yeah. So do you not think that the vaccine, I mean, every country locked down. So you you know, that that's that is not really worth factoring in here because that's that was international. But what does differ country by country is the vaccine.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, Sweden would be the best case to look at where they didn't have the lockdowns. And they didn't have excess mortality once it over the course of the pandemic itself, their actual mm-hmm. excess deaths is lower. So, so the lockdowns themselves uh, probably have some, some impact,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, but certainly the, you can't explain really the increased all-cause mortality simply by the, the lockdowns. Mm-hmm. We have a mechanism of action where we can understand why you would get damage from the vaccines. I mean, the idea is that you want to have protection from the virus, which could cause death. But what we know, of course, is that people under 65 are very low risk of dying from COVID-19. It's always been like that. It's the elderly that account for over 80% of all the deaths are in people that are like 75% or older, and most of them were in nursing homes. And so some of the, the treatment of these people early on in the pandemic, where they were kept together, they were cut off from family and friends, which can be extremely um devastating psychologically for these individuals. All this has a has an impact on, on whether or not you have a will to live,
2: mm-hmm. even. So, mm-hmm.
1: so that's where most of the damage occurred from COVID itself. Now it's interesting, you know. I've been looking at some of the original decisions for the approval of these vaccines in the first place. Most people realize that they had only about 10% of the normal testing that you would give to even a vaccine, never mind a drug. And they were approved. In Canada, we had the um, interim order. So what most people do not understand is that with the interim order, You don't have to prove that the product actually is efficacious. You do not have to prove that the product is safe. If there is no data available for this, then then in what's considered an emergency situation, the Health Canada approves it anyways. So there really wasn't any good data That looked at things for example like okay we can we can see that you get covid but does it prevent you from getting really sick with covid and does it prevent you from dying from covid and in all the original studies there's no evidence of a reduction in covid deaths by in the vaccinated groups compared to the unvaccinated in fact it's slightly higher in the vaccinated group for for overall mortality and from cardiovascular diseases, which we can understand now because of the thrombosis risks and the myocarditis risks with the vaccines. So these these were approved. And what's interesting is Health Canada approved this like around December, whereas the government of Canada had negotiated to purchase these products in the summer, prior summer. So these were already with... Pressure from the government to approve these products that didn't require any real evidence that they were efficacious or safe. So, what a regulatory agency is supposed to do is to say, well, is the benefit outweigh the risks, the safety concerns? But you can't make that comparison in this case because there was no strong data to support it. Either way. Uh, So basically, this is what's happened. So we have these products that most people assume we're actually highly vetted and and the regulatory agencies are protecting us from these vaccines. And if they say it's okay, it must be okay. That's not the way it works at all. There's no requirement for Health Canada under interim uh, approval, interim order, to actually show that they're safe or efficacious. And no requirement for the manufacturer necessarily to have that data provided. As it turns out, the data that that is provided is actually extremely disconcerting. And as uh, at the Canadian COVID Care Alliance, as we've done more work to investigate the, the manufacturing process and the quality control and other aspects of the production of these vaccines and distribution, we see all kinds of problems in the information that was actually provided by the manufacturers. So it's a a brand new technology. These RNA vaccines are using adenoviruses to deliver the DNA for the spike protein, the case of COVID-19. We don't hear too much anymore about AstraZeneca or the Johnson & Johnson vaccines because they turned out to be even more problematic than the RNA vaccines from Moderna and F- Pfizer and BioNTech. So what we know from the clinical studies that have been done, it's not been shown that these actually prevent infection. Over 90% of the people that were infected with COVID-19 and hospitalized in ICUs and have died were vaccinated, highly vaccinated. It doesn't prevent transmission, because we've had these huge waves, multiple waves, that are periodic, that don't seem to have anything to do with the vaccination status of people. And again, as I pointed out, most people that have been dying in the last year and a half have been predominantly vaccinated people.
0: So have you looked at the Pfizer data, which they did not want to release for 75 years? Yes. Have you looked at the the the, uh, the trial data? Um, I know that there are um, groups that have I'm That's trying right. to think of, you know, who's there's the about a thousand
1: have. scientists that are actually yes. going through that data yes. now.
0: So if you looked at published
1: reports with that. Mm-hmm. I haven't I haven't read the latest report. It came out recently. I did look very carefully at the data that came out from the first, you know, two two months after the release, early on in 2021. And of course, there we had about twelve hundred and was it 40-some-odd uh, deaths that w- that they already had recorded that they did. But of course, if we look at the data now in the VAERS system in the U.S., we're looking at about 34,000 deaths that have been reported in the U.S. alone related to the SARS-CoV-2 vaccines. Again, they didn't have the AstraZeneca vaccine. They only had the three vaccines, which, you know, including the Johnson & Johnson. And... We also know that in the var system it's underreported.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, the underreporting, it can be some estimates are that it's that you need to multiply those numbers by forty times because less than two percent of actual reports end up in VAERS. But we've got over a million and a half reports of injury that have been filed with these vaccines, And that's more reports. In fact, two-thirds of all the deaths that have ever been recorded related to vaccines are in, are in the course of about two years now with the SARS-CoV-2 vaccines in the States compared to all the other vaccines put together, and there's over 80 others, for the last 30 years since the VAERS system started. Now, this isn't just unique to the VAR system. We see this in the the yellow card system in the UK, mm-hmm. the uh, Eurovigilance system that's actually in the European Medicines Agency. We see it with the Vigi Access System from the World Health Organization, which again goes back 30 years. The vast majority, it, it's, 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 it's incredible. It's a, just an order of magnitude of reports of, of injury, of hospitalizations and deaths with these vaccines. You you cannot ignore the the signals that are there in these systems, and recognize too that they are dramatically underreporting the actual number mm-hmm. of deaths and injuries.
0: Well, look at look at um, Edward Dowd's data. Now, Edward Dowd was with BlackRock; he's mm-hmm. a money guy, but he's also a numbers guy, and he's looking at the uh, excess deaths, uh, you know, with the insurance companies. Because the insurance right. companies really are motivated to accurately assess what's going on and project ahead, or their other business. Well, their business. livelihood depends on it. Well, the data, it, it? It, their livelihood depends on it. Well, the numbers that are showing up with Edward Dowd and the insurance companies in the U.S. are showing excess deaths, massive excess deaths. I think in excess of forty percent in the working age populace, which is normally yes. very healthy. So it's yeah, it, well, forty-four, seeing...
1: it especially mm-hmm. shows up.
0: Yeah. So yeah. what do you what do you attribute this to?
1: Well, I think it's the the vaccines. I think what happens is when you're when you're injected with these vaccines, like the Moderna vaccine, for example, each injection has in the order of about tens of trillions of lipid nanoparticles. Each lipid nanoparticle has about five to ten copies of the gene to make the spike protein. So so when these get into your your cells of your own body, your body becomes a manufacturing facility. There's no control in terms of how much an individual cell will be taking up, or depending on the metabolic state of that person and their cells, how much spike proteins can be produced from those RNA. We now know, as I pointed out earlier, that, that there's no evidence that the spike protein can persist or be continually produced for at least nine months in people. Mm-hmm. So, when you're expressing on the surface of your own body cells this foreign protein, which itself is a protein that can interact with the ACE2 receptor, uh, this is a receptor that controls your blood pressure. Basically, it destroys angiotensin II, which itself would normally increase blood pressure. So, um, you- your, 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 this ability to potentially interfere with the ability of ACE2 to to do its job means that you'll have more angiotensin 2, more increased blood pressure. We know that, that we can get platelets um, clotting, you know, activated and clotting factors released. We know that micro clots form. We're now seeing from the pathology data that in the brain, we're starting to see what appears to be micro um, clots that don't, don't just have the components that you'd have like in, in, in normal blood clots, but fibrous components that have proteins. And they seem to form these what's been described as calamari-like clots. Now, there's been a number of pathologists that have given their reports. Uh, I'm, at the Canadian COVID Care Alliance, we we put out a video recently that was an interview with uh, with uh, both uh, morticians from the states and from the uh, United Kingdom, and they describe these these white fibrous clots that are found in people that have died that have been vaccinated, and this is no there's no way that a person can survive with these kind of clots in their body so these we believe are post-mortem artifacts and recently um so i forget laura's last name but at the national citizens inquiry she gave testimony of, i think she had over 27 years of experience as a mortician and uh you know a lot of experience that's there that knows what she's doing and she describes these as well in fact there's been a survey of over 130 morticians that have actually uh, taken part in this survey most of them from the u.s and over 70 percent of them see these clots so so what we wonder is well how did these come about and so there. are they're, again, they're fibrous, calamari-like. They take on the shape of the blood vessels that they're being pulled from, that these these uh, morticians, when they're embalming people, are pulling these things out. Now, the theory that we have is that you have these microclots with this these fibrils, and what happens is when a person dies, they, their body temperature goes down, and what's happening is they're, they're, the body temperature is down, and there's no circulation. So these are now stationary. So anyone who's grown crystals can recognize that this could be a, a, a good way to make crystals. And this is basically a way, kind of like jello. you know? If you, you leave jello, you put it cool, you don't disturb it, then it polymerizes. it forms mm-hmm. your jello. We think these clots are probably forming the same way. And then what's happening is because of the way morticians, when they're, they're putting a cannula into the, the neck, they're pumping the embalming fluid through and the, the normal serum is coming out of the person. They're actually going in a direction, going from very narrow vessels to wider vessels. Mm-hmm. So we think what's happening is these clots are in the narrow vessels and then they're being they're able to flow through, and they get they may still get stuck as they accumulate in the region where it's, they're going to be pulling them out. So sometimes they have to actually go in, and and remove the clot in order to get the flow of of the the blood, and then the, and then the embalming solution. Mm-hmm. But we think mm-hmm. this is probably what's going on. The the bottom line is that there is a change in the blood in these people, certainly prior to their deaths that is actually facilitating this process. And if these little microclots are in places like capillaries in the brain or or in the heart, in major arteries, then you're gonna get heart attacks, you're gonna get strokes. And when you look at that all-cause mortality, well, about 42%, or 40, sorry, 46%, roughly of those are gonna be due to actually um, cardiovascular disease. Mm-hmm. And then the other half, almost an equivalent amount, is due to cancer, depending on the country. In mm-hmm. Canada, we have slightly more cancer than heart disease. In the United States, we have slightly more heart disease than cancer. But these account for over 90% of all of the deaths that occur. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you're affecting these processes, it's not surprising that you have an increased in all-cause mortality.
0: So essentially, the, the injection is increased so you're going to have more dementia, right. you're going to have a higher blood pressure, you're going to have right. more strokes, which might yes. account for the reason that so many pilots are having trouble at higher elevations, That's right. Um, and then you've got more heart attacks, because you've got inflammation in the heart, it sounds as though the whole immune system becomes compromised. Um, and well, that's your that's your expertise, isn't it? Because your yeah. your test that you offer up allows people to see how their immunity is, right?
1: That's right. I mean, there's so much data that comes from even the field, like with paramedics, for example, and in the, in, uh, they saw in in Israel where they had the highest rates of vaccination, clear increases in the number of reports of heart attacks that were occurring that, that when they were going out there and, and picking up people to take to the hospital, there was this real increase that they saw. But even here in British Columbia, we're we're seeing our paramedics have increased numbers of calls now relative mm-hmm. to what we had a few years ago, and there's no explanation for this. You know, these people are are very sick and they're being taken to the hospital, and we don't have enough paramedics. They actually are hiring more paramedics to deal with this this new increased problem.
0: So. It's very clear to anyone that chooses to go for a deep dive. It's very clear that there is a problem here. Do you think that this is malicious on the part of our government and our media? I mean, our government has signed contracts for an experimental injection that had no data. They signed contracts. Uh, Actually, even David Martin, Dr. David Martin shows uh, patents prior to COVID even beginning. Yeah. Well, you know, that's, that's strange. That should raise a few red flags. How can you be uh, writing patents on technology before COVID's rolled out?
1: Well, do, you, do, you sense something, do you think not, there's
0: something malicious?
1: I'm not surprised by that. I mean, for a patent, you have to have an idea and you have to demonstrate that there's some sort of utility for that idea. And so there's many patents that are filed all the time on crazy ideas, but someone sees that there might be an opportunity there, and they want to try to get in early on that. So, over ninety percent of the patents that are filed never generate any money. So I'm not too concerned. Although I think what David Martin is showing is that particular individuals that later mm-hmm. on are are involved and potentially have profited from this, that that. You know, including even people like uh, Anthony Fauci. I mean, in fact, this is what's really interesting. A lot of these patents are, are filed by an agency that would later be involved in determining whether or not this technology should be used. And then, of course, the technology is used before it's really demonstrated to be truly efficacious and safe.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so the the agency is actually a benefactor. It's a conflict of interest Mm -hmm. is what it is. And this is one of the reasons why even now when we have uh, drugs that are being approved by regulatory agencies, like in Canada or in the United States, the bulk of the funding that goes to that agency in order to be able to, to carry out that process is paid for by the manufacturer. So then the question really arises, this is a conflict of interest because it means Mm -hmm. that you're there to protect the safety of the public, but who's really feeding you is the companies that want you to approve their products. Mm -hmm. And so while I think the people that work at these health agencies are actually quite competent and and mean to do their job well, and I think that they, they do, You still have the problem that at the upper echelons of those agencies, which are really politically controlled, that the the narrative is going to be that, as an example, would be the COVID-19 vaccines and the actual um, interim order approval, regulatory agency didn't have to show that it was safe or efficacious, right? Now,
0: does this not... Does this not seem malicious? I mean, is our government Mm. acting on our our behalf? If if we know this, what Mm. do you interpret this as?
1: I think there's a combination of a lot of things that are going on here. I don't believe it's malicious. Personally, I don't think that this is some plan to reduce our population in the world. Um, There's so much better ways of doing that sort of thing this is very inefficient i mean you on the one hand we recognize how we need more people in canada so we've increased our immigration and we're setting going to be allowing more people to immigrate including a lot of people that have come here illegally through our borders right so and the government seems to be encouraging that so I, i don't think the government is trying to reduce our our population i do think that they want to be seen as effective and I think they, the Canadian government is, is more fixated on the international scene than it perhaps is on what's of the benefit to us locally as a, in terms of the nation and I think they have a lot invested in these vaccines and it's kind of like sunk costs and there's face involved so I think there's On the one side, there's this ignorance. And then on the other side, there's a certain amount of arrogance. And I think that combination has resulted in the situation that we have right now. And it's kind of a wake up call because I think these problems with COVID 19 and how it's been handled is not not necessarily new. I, I think these are problems that were existing and getting worse. As time went on, and I think it's come to a head where we can now see better what's actually going on. And it and for the 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 mainstream media is still kind of becoming more like a a mouthpiece for the um the government. It's it's also been kind of controlled by the government. There's a certain amount of big pharma control of government. And there is of the media itself. And so there's this kind of unholy alliance that I think has actually been misleading the general public on these matters and has not worked necessarily in the best interest of the health of Canadians, but maybe the health of certain industries. Some people say the biomedical um, complex. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that that these companies they're there to make a profit they're there for their shareholders I think the people that work in those companies do want their products to be a, a benefit to humanity uh, they're not interested in making things that are going to be deadly but you know there's a lot of different things that are all happening at the same time and so I think we've been sloppy but Universal I don't know I mean
0: if you look at, I'm I'm sorry, if you look at the data that's come out and I'll speak to Pfizer because that's the one that I know most about. Right. They knew very clearly that this vaccine was dangerous, not just ineffective. They Mm -hmm. knew it was dangerous. In the control group, the death was lower in the control group that did not have any vaccine than in the group that received this experimental injection. Meaning the injection was killing people. And now with the Pfizer data being revealed, they've tried to, to conceal this, but it's very incriminating. Before it was released to the public, they knew from the trials that they ran that this was very, very dangerous on every age group.
1: So, I think competent science, you know, the, 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 the the
0: biomedical complex, as you as you refer to knew perfectly well that they were releasing something highly dangerous and ineffective into the general population. Now, what is their motive? I can think of a lot of different motives because yeah. you look at who's the home here. but to say that this is ignorance or an accident, I don't buy it.
1: Yeah. I, I don't well, buy I, that.
0: I just think I, that I would that's give them more benefit. I' give
1: why, them more of the benefits why, why, why are
0: you giving why are you giving big pharma? The benefit of the doubt. Benefit of the doubt. They have a long history of corruption. Well, that's true. You know, there there is no. Why why are you inclined to cut them any slack? I don't. Well, I think what what happens uh, is it warms your heart to them.
1: They had a. There's a motivation here to to capture the market, as we've seen. Mm -hmm. There's been over 200 companies that try to develop vaccines. Mm -hmm. Why. These particular vaccines kind of advanced to the front, and a lot of these other ones have gone to the wayside, including some of the ones that at first blush seem promising, like the MediCAGO vaccine, for example, and and the Novavax. These these are now probably dead in the water or or would have been. The Sinovac, which is more traditional vaccine from China, uh, we didn't negotiate, it seems, to get any of those vaccines. They're not as effective as in the first blush, the genetic vaccines are, I mean, people have to understand, when you are exposed to large amounts of these spike proteins, you are going to get a good immune response. And that immune response is going to provide you increased levels of antibodies, T cell activation, and some degree of protection. The problem is that this type of a vaccine doesn't produce the kind of antibodies that are going to be The ideal ones in your airway spaces and lungs, which is where you're going to get infected, they're primarily IgG antibodies Mm -hmm. when Mm -hmm. developing in your blood, and you got Mm -hmm. IgM and IgA antibodies that are secreted more into your lungs and airway spaces. You're making an antibody against just one of the 28 proteins in the virus with the vaccine, whereas natural infection, they're all available to make antibodies against. Plus, and this is something that is still a bit of a mystery when you're vaccinated, the vaccine efficacy does not seem to last. And the more you're vaccinated, the shorter the period of protection that's offered by that vaccine, if it doesn't kill you in the first place. Mm
2: -hmm, Because mm -hmm.
1: we know when when you first get vaccinated, you have to think about this, especially if you've already had been exposed to the virus, and you have antibodies, and you have a robust immunity already, now when you're vaccinated, especially in the first two weeks, you're producing massive amounts of these spike proteins on your own body cells. That is, mean, is where you're gonna be the most likely to, to get tissue damage. But at the same time, it's also gonna increase your chances of getting infected again. Because that immune system that you had that was providing you with protection, is now distracted in dealing with quadrillions of these spike proteins throughout your body, rather than the little bit of virus that comes in through your, your airway packages, passages, which can propagate at those those centers, cause some symptoms, but also be transmitted much more easier.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that, that might explain why the vaccinated are perpetually sick. I hear employers say, all of their vaccinated employees are taking record number of sick days and their unvaccinated employees are in fine health. There has been no change despite lockdowns, despite inability to see the doctor. So no one can say that sick days have been affected by the lockdowns. The number of sick days have increased only with vaccinated employees and many, many uh, heads of companies have come forward and reported this so there's yeah, obviously right. something going on with the vaccinated there's there's no there's no question the vaccine is damaging but um, maybe i'm <laughs> you you you're giving the benefit of the doubt to Well a, i think what a, happened to to is an industry the, you, that i think is a very sinister it's well, a sinister when you have the industry. clinical
1: studies and this is mm-hmm. this is normal right mm-hmm. i mean the 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 company wants to have a product whether it's a drug or a vaccine, approved,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? They they don't invest all this money into making something that turns out to be actually a liability. So, but there is a, a tendency when you have these clinical trials to design them so the endpoints are going to give you the result that you want and minimize the chances that you're going to see some problem come out of this. So the, So the trials are designed in such a way to do the minimum requirements of what might be uh, a health regulatory agency will want to see, of mm-hmm. course, for these vaccines, it, it didn't even need to meet those requirements but 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 the companies that are going to do this will do the minimum amount
2: mm-hmm. of what's
1: necessary to get the product approved, and that's yeah. exactly that's exactly what happened here
0: well and but it was also did, very
1: shoddy how it was done
0: very shoddy and why did pfizer want to conceal their data for 75 years if you were truly well enough, I, I, enough content, I had heard
1: that the main reason for that wasn't so much the the company as it was the regulatory agency the the fda that was putting up that kind of resistance but there are confidentiality well, agreements that are in place.
0: Why, but why, if you're vaccinating, you're trying to vaccinate the whole world. So we're talking, you're trying to get four, five, six billion vaccines into the arms of people. Why would you not be transparent with your test data? To me, that's an obligation.
1: Well, I think it's too embarrassing, actually. It, but but the thing crazy. is, if it's
0: embarrassing, what type of company is this? This sounds like a very malicious evil company that will not be straight up on how horrific their data results were. That the the vaccinated, the injected group, test group was dying at horrific numbers. I mean, we're talking big numbers.
1: Well, I'm not I, I sure just, it was that big. I mean, it was in the six months trial at the end of it, about 20 people that died. This is out of about 21,000 people in each separate group, the unvaccinated and the vaccinated. Although two months into the trial, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: they did, it became unblinded. So everybody knew who was being well, okay. I'm blinded.
0: Okay. What does that mean?
1: And 89% of those people went into the, the vaccinated group. So the whole thing was mucked up. Well, first,
0: but I but I say but, this is but, this is but, not ignorance. This is malicious because you can't tell me that they don't know how to conduct a proper experiment. This is basic.
1: Well, uh, structure see, or again, design. This you know? was the regulatory agencies that allowed this. Well,
0: happen, yes right? and no. They but they, would, I, they should
1: not have approved the drug or sorry the vaccine on the basis of the clinical study. I mean. Most people don't even realize that most of the people that were tested were actually tested in South America. And in those places, they actually get a lot more ivermectin that's actually available. So they may not even have the rates of COVID-19 that we would see in North America where we don't have ivermectin. Mm-hmm.
2: So
0: so when, where was, the, iver, and where was also, the ivermectin? The doctors
1: decided who was yeah. going to get tested right? Mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. knew who was actually vaccinated, who was not vaccinated. And so most of the people that actually had symptoms of COVID mm-hmm. were not actually tested in the study, only a subset were. And then in the subsets, and they, they pick the subsets, they can, they can get a number where they can see a 95%, at least initially, mm-hmm. a reduction in the number of mm-hmm. cases of COVID-19 that are confirmed,
2: mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm.
1: So, so, so don't get me wrong, the whole thing was mm-hmm. done very shoddily. It should never have been accepted based on that data from mm-hmm. any regulatory agency that knows what they're doing. But at the same time, there's political pressure. There is this fear that this virus is killing people in, in massive amounts, where when you actually look at the all-cause mortality data, 2020, which is the period that we had the Wuhan strain and the more subsequent deadly variants Mm -hmm. as well, Mm -hmm. not as deadly as the Wuhan strain, but still fairly deadly. During that period of time in Canada and United States, Mm -hmm. there's no increase in all-cause mortality. Mm -hmm. So those Mm -hmm. people that died most likely would have died from influenza or some other virus or, or situation. But instead of dying from that, they died from, with the COVID-19. In fact, what they actually died from wasn't really so much as it is with influenza, from influenza or COVID-19, but from pneumonia. Mm-hmm. That's actually what kills the people. And, and that's what Yeah, and we, that's right. We and, actually and- did not, we did not prescribe, you know, antibiotics for these people that were in intensive care units that were at high risk of dying from COVID.
0: And, and, why, so, and why we, were we doctors, might have actually
1: saved some of those people might, well just think given them the, antibiotics.
0: Well, think of all the people that would have been saved if we could have uh, prescribed ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine.
1: Well, it, it, it seems that there is a number of studies that really do support it. There are some claims of studies where they do not. But I think the, the on the balance, more studies indicate that it, ivermectin works hydroxychloroquine there was one very bad study that was done that turned out later to be withdrawn that that discredited hydroxychloroquine and that was too political because you know Donald Trump was really advocating it but another one was flu- fluvoxamine that mm-hmm. underwent a clinical study and that was shown in fact to stand up yeah and it has been used for example in in BC in some cases
0: well, the, the meta-analysis on hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, and that's the study of all studies, mm-hmm. show that the use of ivermectin uh, reduces mortality from COVID by 70%. Now, yeah, that that is, that's, that's meta-analysis. That isn't one
2: study. That, that's this is one of thousands there, of studies. There has that's been, other,
1: there has been yeah. other meta-analyses that say that it doesn't mm-hmm. work. But the but problem I, uh, is when you actually look at these meta-analyses,
2: mm-hmm.
1: they have filters of criteria. Mm -hmm. And there's a, so they'll start with, you know, hundreds of studies, and then they'll narrow it down to maybe about 20 that they decide to use.
2: Mm -hmm. So there's Mm
1: -hmm. a, there's a, there could be cherry picking on both sides. But you know what, but certainly to
0: be clear, why are doctors not allowed to give in Canada, their patients that want ivermectin and feel that will help them? Why has ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine become like contraband? If I want ivermectin, And my doctor wants to give me ivermectin. My doctor gets fired and loses his rights from the College of Physicians. What kind of Canada is this?
1: Yeah, well, see, actually, what's interesting here is it's not Health Canada exactly, because Health Canada does allow a drug or or a vaccine, well, uh, certainly a drug, if it's approved for one purpose. You can have off-label where it can be used for other purposes if there's sufficient evidence to compel the doctor. The doctor makes a decision, not Health Canada. Health Canada will, will give decisions on recommendations where they have documented information, ideally in a, mm-hmm. in a, mm-hmm. in a clinical trial that's controlled, and then they will, they'll say, yes, in this study, we believe that it actually works and we recommend it for that purpose. But but that's the likelihood that you're going to have a a off-patent, cheap drug that's going to now be going through a clinical trial, unless it's paid for by the government, which it hasn't decided to do, then what ends up happening is it'll never be tested in that way to meet the criteria of what you know Health Canada, would want to but, see but all it. all
0: all Health Canada has to do is look at billions of people in India in certain areas that they were permitting ivermectin, their death rate dropped to zero. So there there was ample evidence internationally that ivermectin was absolutely effi- you know efficient well, in, I, I, I in I reducing death. And and then you have very a compelling cure, data for very, this very, very compelling. I mean there there's an area of India where you know, millions and millions. Yeah, were Pradesh
2: given it. Is yes, very and, interesting. and look at the
0: data. Their death dropped to zero when they introduced ivermectin. Other regions of India did not permit it and their death rate was higher, yeah. whatever that means. There were, but the neighbor, there is neighboring no, states. There is yeah. no question that ivermectin is effective. But my question is how what type of government do we have in Canada that penalizes or punishes doctors for trying to treat their patients?
1: Well, this, and Pierre this, Corey this is, will talk this,
0: about it. This is actually Peter due McCullough. to the
1: College of Physicians and Surgeons mm-hmm. in the various provinces, so it's provincially determined. So it's it's uh, there has definitely been a very strong program on the part of the colleges mm-hmm. to actually persecute yes doctors that prescribed ivermectin or or discourage people from being vaccinated.
0: And and that, when that it, sort of in the history, when women in the history of Canada. Has a doctor been punished for using a treatment that looks to be very successful, especially ivermectin, which won a Nobel Prize five years ago for being the safest, most effective, most influential drug in the world? And the WHO listed it as the top five drugs in the world. I lived in Africa. (laughs) Everyone (laughs) in in Africa took ivermectin once a week. They called it the Sunday-Sunday drug. We took it when we lived in Africa because it kills parasites. Well, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, off-label, we discover it kills COVID. And, all of, and even Fauci acknowledged that before COVID outbreak, that, oh, look at ivermectin kills COVID. But all of a sudden, it's banned? There, there's, I, I'm sorry, Steve. I, I don't understand yeah. why you don't well, see that there's something that I, was I, I understand going your on here. I think here. Oh, it,
1: these, it, these, to me, but- it's
0: obvious that there's a crime. This is, yeah, this the is...
1: ivermectin is like for five cents a day you can five have cents a, a day. child in africa be able to drink the water yes i don't think i think health canada definitely muddied the waters when when they basically said that it was a horse medicine mm-hmm. and they were claiming that there was toxicity i mean the the problem is and health canada by the way because i had a there was a petition that went to the House of Commons Mm -hmm. to to allow ivermectin to be um, utilized. And the response from the health minister for for Canada, it was the deputy minister that actually replied, was that actually they recommend that the doctors prescribe the ivermectin, because that way the patient is going to get the dose that's appropriate for them. And but that, but there was a warning, basically from Health Canada about toxicity from ivermectin, which, as you pointed it, out, is a toxicity. It, it a very high therapeutic window. <laughs> it, for all that. It, it you is go to, considered, very high dose to get really sick. Yeah,
0: it is one of the any, safest any drugs in of the world. From ivermectin no, ivermectin is considered the safest. It's 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 like right. saying Tylenol is. But but toxin. here's
1: the problem: you 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 force people to go and get the ivermectin from other sources, which include horse paste. And these people, without the help of their doctor, don't know the difference between a milliliter and a milligram.
0: Yes, but they never have to and go for to a the horse. horse. It, but you know what? Honestly, I think the grade of the horse paste was very good because it was yes, made it in was. Canada. It was not made in China and India. So actually, the quality of the ivermectin was good. But for Canadians to be forced to go to a vet and pretend that they have a horse, Mm-hmm. is that what has happened to Canada? I, I, My blood boils at the corruption. And this is no, mistake. this is where I guess we'll have to agree to disagree. This mm-hmm. is no accident. This is malicious. This is intentional. And just briefly, I want to touch back to Naomi Wolf. She was, I was grasping for her name.
2: Mm-hmm. Dr.
0: Naomi Wolf has done extensive analysis with a huge team of people to go through tens of thousands of pages of documents out of Pfizer. This is a crime in the works. There's nothing accidental. And there's in my mind, there's nothing accidental going on in Canada in, in terms of how our government has behaved. And Moderna has never had a history of producing anything successful no this is their first product this is their first well isn't that a coincidence and actually their next product
1: (laughs) the the latest product the one to follow up was a failure actually
0: it was you know moderna is is an absolute shell company for a corrupt agency it is despicable and there has never been a vaccine for a cold we all know that they've been looking for a vaccine for years for a cold and all of a sudden the government bans effective treatment and rolls out as an emergency uh, 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 approves, not will, emergency approval for a vaccine. And you can't have emergency approval for a vaccine if there's a cure. So isn't it just handy that the, the governments around the world buried any effective treatment? Mm-hmm. So uh, there is a, uh, uh, maybe I need to send you more information, Steve, to show the criminality of what's going on here. These, this is no accident. This is no accident,
1: but well, I'm, I I'm, I find I'm, it hard to believe that there's some sort of coordinated event on the part of a few people that control the strings yeah. here. I, do you know I, I what? Do...
0: Uh, <laughs> I'll send you some information yeah. on the World Economic Forum. I'll send you some information on the who and who is at the helm, Tedros, who is a well-known criminal in Ethiopia. I can't believe he's not in prison. I'll send you information on the Trilateral Commission. Uh, There's so much evidence that the parties in power here are, like, have you read the real Anthony Fauci? There's a good start. These people are criminals, well-known criminals, and it's very, very coordinated. And you look at, P, you know, Doctor Drosten, who wrote the PCR, he got approval in 24 hours, and he faked his degree at university. How did someone get approval for a PCR test in 24 hours? How? It's not even effective. Well, they
1: justify it by the emergency, obviously. But how?
0: 24 hours. Doctor Drosten, who has no qualifications, manages to get an approval for a test that's going to be used for eight billion people. And, it's, and it turns out to be a complete sham.
1: Yeah, and no, so, they, they, so they, they're, the, they're a month every, behind. The, the,
0: the, this, is like, this is like you're reading a novel of the greatest crime in the history of humanity. Oh, yeah. No, but there's, I will yeah, send there, you.
1: <laughs> there's deception. There, there's oh, the deception. It's got all the ingredients I, my, a great murder mystery. <laughs> it, it,
0: well, it, it, it is happening in real time. But you know what? We'll switch gears. And I am going to forge you some information. But let's sure. switch gears. And the one of the debates that... I'm sure you have a lot to say on because there's so much division now in our camp on do viruses exist? Um, The origin of SARS-CoV-2, is it genetically modified? Did it even exist? Can you give me your opinion on what's going on here? Because there is huge debate going on and it's heartbreaking because it's dividing us. Give me your read on it.
1: Well, I think people who are arguing that viruses don't exist in general and in particular SARS-CoV-2 as a virus does not exist they 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 just they need to go and 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 uh, back to university or even high school and look at how we came about our knowledge about the existence of viruses and and these've been known for over 100 years they've been viruses have been isolated they've been photographed with electron micrographs and by the way, we have microscopes today that allow us to look at these, these these viruses and and actually look at individual atoms that are in the protein, in the amino acids that are in the proteins that are on these viruses. We have that depth of resolution that exists today. So there's no question that, that these don't exist. But, you know, take a look at SARS-CoV-2. We know we've got the right virus because when we've been sequencing from people who have samples of the virus to just track the evolution of the virus in terms of these variants, variants of concern that seems to be variants that predominate, we can recognize the individual amino acid differences. This would not be possible if we didn't have the virus. We would not be able to produce vaccines that can effectively produce antibodies that are able to reduce the chances of getting COVID in the first place. We would not be able to do the blood testing that we do to look at these antibodies like we do it at Connectus, where we can clearly see people that have been sick that have these antibodies. As it turns out, many people don't realize that, that they were infected and that they have antibodies. In fact, Health Canada or Statistics Canada, in their latest survey, now estimates that ninety-eight percent of all Canadians have antibodies against the SARS-CoV-2 virus, and forty percent of those people never even knew that they were infected in the first place. They were completely asymptomatic. So, so this is and,
0: and uh, that is they have they have immunity. They had COVID. They have immunity for COVID, and you can tell that that immunity is natural immunity. That's right. How can you tell it's natural immunity and not from the vaccine?
1: Because they never were vaccinated. Or they have evidence of nucleocapsid protein antibodies, which you cannot get from the vaccine. Mm -hmm. But this is another protein that's in the virus that people commonly make antibodies against. At Conexus, we actually were monitoring 10 different proteins. And so 90% of the people we test have antibodies, just forget about the spike protein, but against all these other proteins that are actually in the virus. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. so the the latest data that's from um, Health Canada, which I guess was tracked with the Stats Canada, Mm -hmm. it it makes perfect sense to me. In fact, most children that are infected don't have any symptoms of SARS-CoV-2. And actually, what fascinates me is I was just at a uh, listening to a, a meeting that was um, the CAN COVID network, where we have scientists across Canada get together every every month or two to present data from the research that's been funded by the Canadian Immunity Task Force and other uh, government Canadian government agencies. And they conclude that it wasn't until Omicron that children started getting sick with COVID nineteen, and now almost all of them, you know, have been infected and have antibodies. But prior to Omicron, they calculate only about six percent of Canadian children actually got infected with the virus. I mean, it's it's insane because why would the children be seen as less likely to get infected than the adults that they're living with? That we had such high rates of infection. It's I think the I think the explanation for this is, is very simple. The children they have less ACE2 receptors in their upper airways. So it's harder for the virus to actually spread as quickly in these children. Mm-hmm. Secondly, they have very, very strong innate immune systems. So these innate immune systems rather than what we call the adaptive immune system where you're producing specific antibodies against the virus, or you have T cells that can recognize that virus, these lymphocytes that can attack cells that are infected with the virus. They they have a very strong, non-specific immune response, much higher than we have as adults. As we get older and our bodies become educated about the pathogens that are in the environment, then we don't need to have a strong and innate immune system working, but these children have it. And so they're they're less likely to get sick. And if you're not as sick, you're not gonna be spreading it as easily as if you're active with your symptoms. So what's happened is these, these children, their immune response isn't gonna be as strong because Again, it's the first exposure. And then what happens is when they get re-exposed to it, then their antibody levels get up. And because the Omicron was very infectious, then what happened was those children now had boosted levels of antibodies that with these very insensitive serological tests that that these uh, particular research groups across Canada was using, now they can detect it because the antibody levels are really high, Whereas in fact, with our test, which was much more sensitive, we could detect even in 2020 that these children were already infected. So I think this is the explanation.
0: So was there not some very, there was one old gentleman from what I remember, it was in his nineties and he seemed to have immunity for Mm -hmm. SARS-CoV-2, which tells me that your body has a tremendous sophistication in being able to remember.
1: Oh oh, oh, yeah, I mean, well, this is, I think, what you may be thinking of is the case of the 1918 influenza, where these people in their nineties were being given an antibody test that would be very specific for the 1918 influenza. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: these people, even like 80 years later, still had antibodies that would recognize the original influenza from 1918.
0: Remarkable. So yeah. that tells me that our natural immune system is very sophisticated, but well, in, your test, you, yeah.
1: I was just going to say, well, see, this is the problem. Again, I was pointing out these differences between vaccine-induced immunity and natural immunity. Natural immunity, we know certainly for SARS-CoV-2 can last for at least three years now because as we've been tracking it in these people, their antibody levels remain high for SARS-CoV-2. We know that antibodies against SARS-CoV-1 are still detectable in people 20 years later from that original infection. So So the antibody levels will decline because the cells that produce them, these B cells, are not being stimulated by an infection with the virus. When you get reinfected, then these cells are stimulated to produce more antibodies so then you'll get a rise in antibody levels but oh. the capacity to produce those antibodies is still there whereas for some mm. reason with the vaccine we we're inducing tolerance and we're actually reducing even natural immunity so it's going to make it more likely that you will be successfully infected to the point that you will be sick in the future if you keep boosting when you've already had natural immunity and we started these vaccines a year after the pandemic started. So I believe that most people that even got their first shot already actually had immunity. And that might account for why the segment of the population that had their first shot with the all-cause mortality actually is the highest Mm -hmm. peak of all and -hmm. occurred Mm -hmm. pre-Omicron, especially early on when the vaccines first started. So we were giving the vaccines to the most vulnerable people first, the elderly, those that were a higher risk of COVID-19. And in fact, they probably already had been infected, Mm -hmm. had antibodies, and they had a very strong, robust immune response against the spike protein being produced on their body cells. And I think that could very well have killed them.
0: So you would have been better to leave people alone and let their natural immunity kick in, which is that not a basic, like, immunology 101, natural immunity is the best immunity.
2: Well, I think Even, even
0: Fauci to... said that years ago. He was on the record for saying natural immunity is best until they rolled out the vaccine. And then that little tidbit got buried.
1: Yeah, well, even Bonnie Henry, our, our public health officer in BC, was questioning about whether natural immunity works. She certainly thought that it, the vaccine worked. But she wasn't so sure about natural immunity.
0: So what kind of doctor is that? when a person says
1: things like that, Mm -hmm. it really undermines your confidence in in their their knowledge and ability to do their job.
0: Well, well, that's right. And and that leads me to the question of why in BC are unvaccinated nurses not able to go back to work? It makes no sense. Well okay, okay, so here we come back to this crime again. I'm sorry, it keeps coming back to this. What in the world possesses people? Do they what's the logic? What's the rationale here? I don't I don't understand it. What do you think is going on?
1: I can't understand it. It's illogical to me. I mean
0: illogical
1: or criminal. here, (laughs) Here in BC, for example, they're requiring all health professionals whether you're a chiropractor psychologist you know massage therapist doctor nurse you must all be vaccinated and yeah. you have to be up to date with your shots now these groups would be among the first to actually get infected with the virus in the first place yes and the problem that i see is now we're requiring our students that are going into those professions at the university of british columbia to be vaccinated and they're at really no great benefit. No the vaccine. Be- no. <laughs> the the spread of the virus is so low, but yeah. they're at high risk. To me, an acceptable risk for a vaccine. You know, if 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 we were looking at one in two thousand of the males that are, again, between twelve and twenty nine, getting myocarditis, yeah. which we don't know for SARS-CoV-2, but we do know for um, for the vaccine. Well, we don't. Know. First of all, uh, make it really clear: the the risks of COVID-19 induced myocarditis is extremely low, at least tenfold lower than from the vaccine. But with these vaccines, to to subject basically children or young adults to these risks unnecessarily. And I should point out, I gave you the data for, for males. Females, it's about a seven to eightfold lower rate of myocarditis. But if, if you then factor in the asymptomatic myocarditis, I, I I would be surprised if it's actually that much different in females.
0: Uh, that it uh, would be more asymptomatic.
1: <laughs> because let's face it, human physiology, is pretty much the same when we're talking about mechanisms of producing proteins that are foreign on your own body cells and, and eliciting an immune response. I don't see why it should be any difference between males and females. I think the reason why you're seeing higher rates of symptomatic myocarditis is because the males are extremely active
2: exactly, and they're
1: putting themselves in a situation where they're likely to, to push their body limits and actually precipitate an actual um, attack of the immune system, right. right? And, and, and about and three quarters of those people, by the way, that are collapsing on these fields as, as you know, athletes die.
0: Yes. And have you ever heard of an unvaccinated athlete die? There's been thousands. Have you ever heard of an unvaccinated athlete dying on the pitch in the last year? I haven't heard of one. So there's something going on here, but Mm -hmm. the media is not talking about it. Our government is not talking about it. The mantra is still go get your vaccine and you cannot work if you're not vaccinated and doctors, you better be pushing the vaccine or you lose your license. Look at Dr. Patrick Phillips. Here he is trying to report vaccine injury on all, all his patients coming in with vaccine injury. What do they do? They pull his license.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's actually what, what, being what, chastised what? for reporting.
0: You're you're not allowed. <laughs> to. So so yeah. the the criminality is at such a high level. We are living in truly uh, a corrupted uh, country, but but it's international. Yeah. This is not u- unique to Canada, and I think that we forget the fact that the average or the median age of death of COVID was eighty two. That is higher than the average life expectancy. What in the world are we worried about?
1: Yeah, no, I think I think in BC like, we, it was about eighty four was the yes. average uh, death age for someone with COVID, and yeah. eighty two was the the average age across so, the whole population. So why
0: do we why do we have a problem? And then you're yeah. going to inject young people with an experimental. I'm not even going to call the vaccine because it's not a vaccine. You and in, you inject them with something experimental in the prime of their life and a a 12 year old an 18 year old a 25 year old has much more value in society than a 90 year old in terms of years of life you know you can't equate so here you are injecting an innocent person with something that is purely experimental has a terrible risk profile and our government is still pushing it there is a crime going on here, Doctor Pellick. I, I well, can't. I, it's so obviously, it, it's, it's so ser- blatant.
2: It's, it's, it's really colossal. colossal. It's colossal.
0: It, now, it's not a mistake. It, this is where I just dis- This is not a mistake. Look at well, we have we have a doctor in BC who will not let healthy young nurses work because they will not comply and get the vaccine, and the, and meanwhile the hospitals are crying out. For nurses yeah. and they're hiring people importing them from other countries and paying them threefold if there is not a crime going on here what's going on like this well, makes there, no there, sense
1: there, there's certainly a lot of problems because you're depriving the people in those countries of medical care now because you're you're, you're pulling out their exactly. health professionals yeah our health professionals are being retired or go, they're going to other places that don't have these so we we're we're, we're losing out but here's here's the big problem as well. These, these COVID-19 vaccines that have been pushed to the forefront, these have been used as examples of the success of the technology, the RNA vaccine technology. And the problem is we're now looking at many of the traditional vaccines that are being replaced now with these kinds of vaccines. And so the underlying problem with the production of these proteins on your own body cells and the confusion of mm-hmm. your immune system, trying to recognize what's self and what is foreign, this is going to be with all of these. And yes. the adenovirus vaccines, if you've used a particular adenovirus, when you use that same adenovirus with another uh, delivery, you know gene for some other Influenza protein, for example, you've already got your immune system recognizing that adenovirus, and it's going to destroy the vaccine before it even has a chance to penetrate into your body cells. So, some of this is not very well thought through. Well, um, not,
0: not, well, this is a technology that is unproven. Now we have the data, we know it is highly, highly dangerous and toxic and dangerous. And now we're transitioning everything over to this new technology, which isn't a vaccine. This is not. But now, well, it's
1: genetic therapy, so, basically, it's a it's a, that, it's
0: a genetic therapy
1: that hasn't it's actually has not been subjected to the rigor that we would expect yes. any genetic any genetic therapy product
2: mm-hmm.
1: would normally be exposed to, which is much more rigorous than you would have, for example, for a typical drug. And mm-hmm. certainly a vaccine. So we this have, has we been have, a failing in the regulatory
0: uh, But not control. just a failing, a crime. You have four months of data before you roll this out into the world at large. Four months of data. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When in the world, and there was no crisis, there was no excess mortality with COVID. If mm-hmm. there was a true pandemic, I lived in Africa during Ebola. People were dying. That was serious business. No one was dying of COVID. People were dropping, falling off ladders, having car accidents and being called COVID deaths. But if you actually, you know, the post-mortem assessment. Yeah, at least half the deaths not that, due yeah, to
1: COVID-19. No,
0: yeah, that's right. I've heard more yeah. than half. So in actuality, we did not have an excess death situation. We did not really have a pandemic. And, and we roll out an experimental gene therapy on everyone and say, if you don't get it, the consequences are you cannot fly, you cannot go to restaurants, you cannot yeah. work, you might even have your bank account frozen.
1: Well, I, I know, should so- answer your original question. Which, <laughs> you know, certainly the virus exists. <laughs> we okay, can sequence yes. it, we can, we can find it. So you know, what we can, is we can it? Develop therapies that are based like like Paxlovid yeah. and uh that are specifically meant to target that virus because mm-hmm, it has a mm-hmm. protein in it that's susceptible to that uh Paxlovid. so so the virus exists the question is well where did it come from the version that that we have now
2: mm-hmm. and
1: this there there i think early on there was a very much concern that it could have been um, leaked or released from the wuhan um center you know virology center uh so the 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 evidence is pretty overwhelming that they were working on bat coronaviruses at that facility and they were doing genetic engineering at that facility mm-hmm. and so the telltale signs well was when you look at this oh the structure of the virus in terms of all its proteins and you look at the gene sequence of nucleotides which is like a fingerprint we can see that it's the most related to a, a bat, like a horseshoe bat, coronavirus. So it, it clearly is from a, a bat mostly. However, there are segments that are in that Wuhan strain, which are from SARS-CoV-1 that do not exist in the bat. In addition, there is a cleavage site that allows you to create two subunits out of what was once one long polypeptide uh, chain of protein. And what that does is it makes it more infectious. And that urine cleavage site does not exist in any bat or any other coronaviruses. In addition, people have pointed to the uh, AIDS-like, virus, HIV virus segments. There's four segments in there. However, that's a red herring because those four segments are found in other bat coronaviruses too. So those were not genetically engineered. They were already evolved in the bat coronaviruses to begin with from somewhere. But one of the telltale signs is we have what's called restriction endonuclease cleavage sites that allows us to do genetic engineering to, to switch around pieces of DNA, insert new pieces, take out pieces, and and, and there's a higher frequency of these restriction endonuclease mm-hmm. sites that are in the genetic sequence of the Wuhan strain that you cannot account for from a natural source that are commonly used people that are doing genetic engineering. So there's no doubt that this was a genetically engineered virus. And it did not come in my mind and most people's minds that are scientists and studies from an animal source that somehow it went from a bat to a raccoon dog Mm -hmm. and a raccoon Mm -hmm. dog was able to infect humans in that market. To have within a few miles of the only place where we have the documented presence, the first presence of this virus, to the only level four facility for handling dangerous pathogens, just a few miles away, the likelihood of that is so low. So the real question to me is, how long has this virus actually been around? And so most people will say, well, it's December, maybe late November, the first reports. However, we never tracked these viruses before in this fashion. And when you have seasons, you know, influenza is seasonal. When people are getting sick, they don't check to see whether they've been affected with influenza particularly. They just get over it. And most people that would be infected with COVID-19, we'll get over it. And so I suspect the virus has actually been around for at least a couple of years before we actually officially recognized the virus. And so, the evidence I have for that is that when we took blood samples from 2018 as controls for our study with our test and in many cases we have like clean results we get no signals of antibodies but there's some individuals from 2018 samples that we know were even in our freezers for a year before the pandemic give very strong signals against SARS-CoV-2. Well that's
0: fascinating Sequencers. so so do you you think this gain of function research has been going on for years in labs yes. in China, in Ukraine? I think Ukraine is a hotbed of this gain of function research it, as well. They but are. Do you think?
1: <laughs> but these kind of experiments are going on worldwide, frankly.
2: Mm-hmm. But I Sometimes think there's are some not countries.
1: Using as dangerous pathogens. But for example, we had that case last year. We're in Boston, University of Boston. They had a lab that purposefully took the original Wuhan strain and did genetic engineering to incorporate sequences of the receptor binding domain of the Omicron variant, which would make this virus more infectious and at the same time retain the virulence where it's more lethal with the original Wuhan strain. And it was when they utilized these in animal studies. So you can do that in an academic lab at a university. So gain, uh, gain, gain,
0: a function, gain a function is not maybe that difficult to do. The U.S. tried to ban it, and I guess that's why the U.S. They, moved they it They did offshore. initially,
1: and then that's why the research was driven to places like the Wuhan Institute for doing wow. this kind of work. Yeah, and, and then they, they lifted Ukraine. that, by the way. So mm-hmm. at the time that the... That the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic was happening. You could have done that research in the US if you if you wanted to. So to me this is one of the greatest threats that I see is it's kind of like the nuclear weapons industry. If you have a very active nuclear weapons program, so you have more people trained in the technology and the increases the likelihood that, you know, a clandestine organization might be able to recruit some of these people for the right money. And allow the production of nuclear weapons, and it's not so easy to have, you know, the, the, the really effective nuclear weapons. But you can have dirty bombs, and so we're doing the same thing basically. We we have a whole industry of people that are being encouraged to do this kind of genetic engineering, and it's a very powerful technology to learn a lot about you know, how viruses work. And, and and other pathogens. Plus, it, it learn we learn a lot about cancer proteins and and how they work. Mm-hmm. For example, mm-hmm. so it has real benefits. But in my mind, we should never be taking a pathogen that we know can be dangerous to human health, and purposefully mutating it to see how it we can make it more pathogenic.
0: Yeah, I I agree.
1: See, I could see if you have something that evolved that emerges in nature and you sequence it and you find Mm -hmm. that there's a little difference and you say, well, could that be the difference? And do that experiment. Okay, I can understand that. But I cannot understand where you take a pathogen and you purposely mutate it in your lab to try to make something more dangerous so that if it emerges in nature, and then you sequence it, you say, "Oh, yeah, it's got that mutation that makes it more dangerous." I, I, I don't think it's, I, I don't think that justifies no. the reason for doing that initial. No.
0: And again, I assessment. would say, there's something malicious here. This is not just good science. There's something very dark about this, but well, my question, I, I, I... I, think,
1: I think the people that are doing that research, I, I do believe that they believe what they're doing is going to be helpful. To future pandemics, but I think they're not thinking it through, recognizing, well, what's the likelihood of another pandemic? I mean, the last (laughs) pandemic that we really had from nature was, you know, we've had SARS-CoV-1 20 years ago, we've had MERS, they're much more deadlier, but they disappeared on their own, by the way. There was but no they, vaccines. They, there was no medications for them. This one was genetically engineered. Yes. So the the greatest risk to me isn't that it's going to come from nature; it's going to be coming from genetic engineering. That's but my but
0: opinion. if if this is genetically engineered, then why was there no excess death when it was rolled out? It it wasn't a very good one.
1: I well, guess the they question failed. is whether it was. It was done on purpose or whether it was part of a bioweapons program i i'm inclined to believe that it was an accident and it wasn't part of a bioweapons program but i mean i can't rule out both possibilities but i suspect that you know when you look at military research believe it or not we have our greatest advancements in science when we're actually at war, or there is perceived war happening. This is where, for example, you know the the antibiotics um, that were used originally to treat soldiers in World War II; <clears throat> those were recognized penicillin decades earlier, but never really applied to to treating infectious diseases until the war came because when you're in war money is is no object you have a an effort that you're you're fighting and that we've seen this also with SARS-CoV-2 with the amount of money that's being focused on research and other resources we it was a spending spree right so mm-hmm. so this is what happens I, I do think that most of the biomedical research that we do is largely underfunded You know, prior to COVID-19. Now what's happening is we have a lot of money going in this one direction for, for the next pandemic, but we're forgetting about the diseases that most people die from, from cancer, from heart disease, and then a lot of these neurological disorders. Like, you know, one in four people over age eighty have Alzheimer's disease. So diabetes is killing. You know, one in four people is expected to get diabetes in British Columbia. So sugar has killed more people than any other, you know, substance that's out there. <laughs> Believe it or not, that, that that's what it works out to. It's yeah, it's so, very toxic. So, yeah, so. We're being distracted in our in our research funding now. uh, Well, not
0: only not only distracted, we're pushing on society at large a, a therapy, a genetic therapy that we know increases your chance of heart disease, increases your chance of diabetes, increases your chance of strokes, dementia, cancer, turbo cancer. So not only are we not doing research on helping people be well, we are actually. Uh, exacerbating the problem so we have we have a major problem
1: you're right I mean and the people that are most sensitive to dying from COVID were people in those those groups
0: absolutely now I I I wonder have you read the real Anthony Fauci
1: I've read of it. I haven't read the whole thing
0: oh you know what I think you keep reading the whole thing keep keep reading because my sense is that you might be shocked to find out how sinister Dr. Fauci, Dr. Barrett, all of these characters and their gain of function research, how sinister it is. I think that you I think you should keep reading it because it's quite dark. Um, yeah, no, and there's, re- this is re- no and there's no accent. I realize
1: it's, it is dark. I, I've also watched a PBS um, special on Anthony Fauci,
2: mm-hmm. American
1: Masters, and it it presents a slightly, you know, obviously a different portrait. Um, I'm convinced that that it is very interesting that you have an individual that's the head of an agency for almost 40 years. Maybe it is 40 years. I mean, that hasn't happened since, to my knowledge. You know, J. Edgar Hoover with the FBI, mm-hmm. and, and so you wonder with an individual seems to want to stay in power for such a long time. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. one could look at that he's very dedicated to trying to improve the human condition Mm
2: -hmm. but there Mm -hmm.
1: is does seem to be a human nature just like rulers you know when they're in power they want to stay in power and have that kind of impact maybe maybe as an individual he thinks he can do good Uh, unfortunately if you if you read
0: read if you read the real anthony fauci i wouldn't pay any attention to the pbs documentary dig into the real anthony fauci and you'll get the real truth because one thing about robert kennedy junior is he's a lawyer yes. he documented everything yes, no, i know he's if, very careful he's extremely careful he's a lawyer he's not right. going to say anything that he does not have primary documents on so that's that's a book i think you might benefit from because i think that you oh, um, yeah. well, you, you tend books. to give people the oh, benefit of do the this. doubt
2: you, you know you know what it book. is
1: Marianne? I have so many scientific publications I'm trying to read. I'm yes. reading a lot of <laughs> documents. I'm proofing other manuscripts from other people. I'm trying to run a company. I'm oh, trying you're to so busy. You know, do my UBC activities, including oh, okay. on Senate yes. and every week dealing with the Canadian COVID care Alliance.
0: Oh, you're, I, just, you're,
1: I just have no time. You <laughs>
0: have no time. And you probably are one of those people that just likes to think the best of people. Mm. Um, You're, you're, I think I'm a little bit more of a realist than you.
1: well, I, I give people the benefit of the doubt,
0: yes, but I, I think most
1: people I think most people intrinsically are actually very caring, social. They mm-hmm. want to do good. Um, to me, that is the nature of how we've evolved. Humans are very, very social, very successful mm-hmm. because of that that um. Sociality, to to have that empathy. Mm -hmm. I I think that's what allows us to be very successful as a species. And we've taken a lot of these other animals that are out there that happen to be very social too, because they can be domesticated. So we domesticate ourselves first, and then we domesticate other animals. And within our sphere, those animals are doing quite well relative Mm -hmm. to how they would be doing in the wild. -hmm. In terms of their life expectancy, they don't have the freedom, but they are in fact um, living relatively good lives. This is what now it seems as though a few people on the planet want to do for the bulk of the population. They want to hurt us, control us, and we may in fact have slightly better lives but not if we challenge what we're being told to do.
0: Oh, and okay. So, I agree with your yeah. first part. They want to hurt us. They want to control us, but there is no good motivation behind this. This is. I believe that the powers that be are extremely, extremely dark characters that are probably sociopaths or psychopaths. There's no other way to explain this. Normal people like you and I, who care about humanity and love our brother, we would never behave like this. So
1: well, you know, I think been, we,
0: ha- we have psychopaths at the helm here.
1: There's been profiles done of corporations mm-hmm. and corporations have the profile of a psychopath. Yeah. So
0: but, they're headed, but they're headed by... They're, they're headed, the but those
1: heads can be removed if they don't follow the, the prescription of the, the directions that the organization as a whole decides. So I think there is a, a tendency for those people that get <laughs> selected oh, because of their characteristics, or yes. they have to make sure that they maintain those characteristics. I
0: think that they have very strong sociopathic tendencies. I don't know if you heard, but today the head of J.P. Morgan, Jamie Simon, uh, Diamond, came out and said, I think we should be confiscating private property so that we can put solar, uh, solar farms and windmill farms. Mm. Confiscate private property. Okay, this is the CEO of JP Morgan. Okay, what kind of nut bar?
2: Well,
1: you'll if you, suggesting if you have this
0: is us. a solution
1: scientific background and it was well, really he, no no no. This, there's no there, you realize that that's not a good idea
0: no this is this is but this is the lunacy of what we're dealing with yeah. right now so i think there is a concerted effort i have spent thousands of hours looking into the world economic forum and all of these groups the united nations sustainable development goals agenda 2030 there is an agenda in the works whether or not you see it there is most definitely a genetic you know there's an agenda in the works COVID is part of it, but the vaccine is a big part of it. Yeah. Because I'm these not... guys, one common trait is they they are all, one thing they all have in common is they all think the planet would be better with half a billion people. Well, how do you get well, from 8 billion to half a billion?
1: That's probably true. Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, see, yeah. I, don't, I don't agree with that. Well, I don't the wild, right.
1: if you look at wildlife, it hasn't flourished very well with human activity. I think the fact of the matter is, our population will be declining naturally anyways. Um, but the question is, how much harm are we doing to the planet?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think some these people may have ulterior motives. well, they may have good motives for why they they may might think this way. but they but our populations, for example, in North America, Europe, uh, they've been declining and 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 what you see is as you improve the standard of living of people, the the they don't want to have children in fact it's very interesting the scenario we have right now in that on the one hand we have made in canada which so canada is the major supplier of organs for transplant now and of course it's been put off for a year but we're now talking about um assisted suicide for for children basically uh people that maybe are Depressed, you know, have, have have some sort of a mental illness, which we know is treatable, uh, both with drugs and with with counseling. We have a situation where it's true that many people don't even want to necessarily be male or female. It seems it, it's this transgender phenomena is amazing because if you follow through with this you're creating a sterile subpopulation, right? Because once you have your organs mutilated like that for your your sexual organs, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you you can't reproduce, Mm -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm. right?
1: And then you got this scenario at the same time, like I say, standard living, people don't even want to have kids anymore. It's too much trouble. It, It interferes with their lifestyle. They can't afford it. So you have all these factors that are coming into play. You're going to see a re- reduction in the world's population. Well, I, I, without any I, think,
0: that. I think the vaccine has been extremely effective at, at affecting well, it's, fertility. It's the, the, study, the studies that I have seen have shown fertility has dropped off tremendously. And I don't think the drop in the world's population is going down because people are not choosing to have babies. I think it's because they can't get pregnant. Infertility is at record levels. And also people are dying of the vaccine at record levels. Excess death tells the story.
1: Well, prior to COVID-19, your your chances of getting, if you have a couple in North America having a child, Mm -hmm. about one in five of those couples couldn't have kids. And so we have these fertility drugs that that can help in some cases. But if you look at, at sperm counts in males, for the last... Jesus, uh, almost like 40 years now, it's been steadily declining about one to Mm -hmm. half a percent per year in sperm mobility, motility, and viability. Mm -hmm. And so those factors all come into play with each other. Mm -hmm. So you you have most of the infertility that we're seeing is actually not in the females, it's actually in the males. Coupled now with the COVID, if, if my worst fears are realized, that these ovaries are being damaged in these women and they're putting off having their kids till they're older and established in their careers. And they know this is the right husband. That's going to stick around. You know, then you, you've got a situation that they may go into menopause earlier and they may not be able to have children. When they well, weren't.
0: Did you, did you say then the vaccine in your mind is destroying or affecting women's ovaries and thus fertility? It'd
1: be one of my major concerns. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's, I don't that's have what the science... strong evidence for it at this point because no one's really looking. How can you look at this so easily unless you have some a woman who's having her ovaries removed? And we usually we don't do that until they're later in life, if necessary. Um, I don't think it's going to be so obvious until we have statistics um, actually I I doing.
0: actually I have read quite a few studies that suggest that in doctors that deal with infertility are saying that they are seeing record infertility in their vaccinated patients and they're seeing record miscarriages in their vaccinated women. Yeah, so well I'd like
1: to see this something
0: something science is science going science. on. But I'll I'll, yeah. I'll send you actually those cuz I've read a lot of data and it's Dr. Christian Dr. Christian Northrup in the US has been documenting uh women's health in the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. She has been gathering tremendous amount of data because that's she's into women's wellness. Yeah. She has collected huge amount of data from women in terms of not only infertility issues, but miscarriages, inability to get pregnant, difficulties if they're intimate with vaccinated partners, they're experiencing shedding. Um, Mm -hmm. and all sorts of adverse effects. So uh, Dr. Christian Northrup might be your first port of call if you want to get up to speed on that because there is data.
1: Yeah, the data Um, will will certainly start to be quantified. I mean, mm -hmm. it is interesting, for example, we knew early on lots of cases of anecdotal data about periods being affected by these vaccines, but it took at least Mm -hmm. a good year Before there was actually any scientific publication on this, so and and to see that forty percent or more women have this problem after they're vaccinated, well, you know, it's it's you know, pardon the pun, but it's a big red flag.
0: Well, well, (laughs) not only that, but I'm sure you know that when people were in the test group, they Mm -hmm. were told
1: yes, they they
0: were told not to be, they were not allowed to be pregnant, they were told not to have any sexual relations with someone, what does that tell you? There that there's something obviously that they knew not only were they suspecting there was shedding going on, but they were very worried about the effects on pregnant women.
1: In those studies that that I think what was something like in the order of less than 10% of the people were actually over age 70. You didn't couldn't have more than one comorbidity. I mean they selectively had a group that was being tested that wasn't going to be the people that were the most likely to actually have a problem from COVID-19. Yeah. So.
0: But then they unblinded the study, which is like rule number one. If they can't figure out that, what what does that tell you about these misfits? I mean, not misfits. These are criminals. But one thing that I found very, very interesting, um, I had a very interesting conversation with someone Um, who is very up on data in Russia and China. And they disclosed to me that there have been no excess deaths in Russia or China. And their suspicion is that the Sputnik vaccine out of Russia or the Sinovac vaccine out of China were like, uh, you know, maybe sailing. So what are your thoughts on this? If you you have no excess death in these populations, on those two populations this tells well, me that maybe the, there's a geopolitical struggle right. going on here well, what, no, what think, do you what do you think
1: i think the explanation is the sputnik vaccine that was used in russia and the sinovac vaccine
2: mm-hmm.
1: these are traditional vaccines so the way they work is they're they're heat treated or, or, or partly killed virus so they have the virus proteins mm-hmm. on them
2: Mm -hmm.
1: you're injecting into the people a known amount of this protein so it's very quantitative very controlled they're not that effective at inducing the same degree of immune response initially that you get with these RNA vaccines but let me put that in perspective If, if you for example are getting vaccinated for influenza The strain that is around right now that's causing most influenza cases is a variant that actually the vaccine only is about 29% effective. So we are giving people vaccines. In the case of influenza, it's a cocktail of a a few different variants that they're trying to cover that are the most likely from what we see, for example, in China, where they, they tend to often originate from. And the next season, you've got a, a vaccine that's available for that. But we're talking about 29% efficacy vaccines. So when you get something like the 70% with the, with the Sinovac or the Sputnik, these do not produce a robust an immune response. But you're not producing the foreign protein on the surface of your own body cells with these vaccines. So you're much less likely to have vaccine injury so that might account for why they're seeing less overall deaths and as we pointed out prior to the vaccines all cause mortality in North America and Europe was actually about the same those people that died would have died from something else some other Mm -hmm. infection for example so this is this is probably why the data shows not an increase in all cause mortality in those countries.
0: So what does that tell you about Russia and China that actually used a vaccine that is not killing people? What does that tell you?
1: Well, I think the Chinese probably early on um, didn't have access to the RNA technology as easily. Okay,
0: just a minute, you're kidding me. No. The Wuhan lab is in China. They had the virus. But they have access to anything. Do you not wonder why the Chinese did not use the messenger RNA injectable experimental on their own population?
1: They'd have to use the lipid nanoparticles, and the patents for those are held by the University of British Columbia.
0: Yes, that is correct. But 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 look at how many Chinese. The Chinese run UBC.
1: If they had a market... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if they wanted to have a world market for their vaccine, they have to make sure they're mm-hmm. not infringing on patents. They could do it within their own country, yeah. but they wouldn't work. Yeah. And and I think that that's not a direction that they were doing research before. Um, they're certainly very adept at molecular biology and and but you know some people have to understand and and things are getting better in China, but you know up to a few years ago the number of universities that were world-class to what we even have in Canada was maybe six or seven, right? I mean, they got a 1.4 billion population. They've got over 300 cities that have over a million people in those cities. But when you're talking about advanced research, Mm
2: -hmm. they had Mm -hmm. to
1: import a lot of those research scientists to help bring their university levels up. From abroad, from North America in particular. So, well,
0: I, I just, it seems very curious to me that Russia and China have two unique vaccines that have not caused any excess death in their population. And meanwhile, in the Western world, we have vaccines that have caused tremendous excess deaths. This yeah. to me, well, this seems rather well, I, peculiar. And I is can't, we can't
1: really tell what's going on in those countries because they don't report.
0: No, they're not reporting, but I this right? was a pretty good source. I mean, for example,
1: prior to tra- the vaccines in, in China, when you look at the total number of deaths per capita,
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's, it was a hundredfold lower than in the United States. That's just not possible. Just as it's not no, possible but, that the same mm-hmm, virus in mm-hmm. Canada... Mm-hmm. Has a sevenfold less killing rate per capita than in the United States. You know, it's kind of, yeah. There's other factors I, that are at play here.
0: Yeah, there. Oh, there are. But you know what? I can't help but wonder if China, because they were faking the the um, infa- infection fatality rate, they were mm-hmm. making out that this SARS-CoV-2 people were dropping dead, which we all now know they they just filmed actors. I can't help but wonder if China and Russia were complicit in, uh, you know, uh, uh, presenting that COVID was dangerous when it wasn't, which is, in fact, true, because we now know that COVID SARS-2 did not kill any more people than the normal flu. Well, uh, so, uh, in fact, the normal flu disappeared. How I co- just, what a coincidence. That yeah, the normal I, flu
1: well, I is suspect coincidence. it's more with controlling their own population. Yeah. I mean, let's face it, we did it here in Canada and the United States. We, we have our media presenting a particular message mm-hmm. that the government mm-hmm. wants out there. And it's to instill fear. Mm-hmm. And you get the population to do what you think is in the best interests of the population. Now, these mm-hmm. kind of like white lies, right? You can go ahead yeah. and lie if you think at the end of the day, it's going to do more good than harm. It's okay to lie. And I think that's what they did, certainly, in, in China. And they tried to be seen as effective. I think they really did lock down you know, whole apartment buildings and, and kept people yeah. on the they, street.
0: They, no, they did lock down. But my my hunch there is that their financial system was collapsing. And it's a good idea to keep people locked up in their homes when their financial system's collapsing. Well, if I don't have jobs
1: they... in the factories, yeah, that's the that... way to do it. Yeah. yeah,
0: and but I, I think there's more going on here. I think there's a big geopolitical um, struggle going on, but I found that bit of data fascinating because you know it's hard to verify, but apparently the data shows no excess mortality. That tells me they used a much better vaccine. They used a real vaccine. We used gene therapy, well, um, which yeah, begs I, the whole I, question.
1: Again, when you look at the there's, number of deaths and all-cause mortality that's actually due, and I did this for for BC. Mm -hmm. I mean, there the 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 component that's actually the COVID deaths, even even a year ago, was the tenth major cause of death. It was Mm -hmm. way way lower. It, Mm -hmm. It has almost no real impact on total deaths each year. When you look at even the peak when you have COVID itself. It gets mm-hmm. a lot of press. But mm-hmm. in terms of what people are really dying from, it's, it's, it, it's, it's just a it's, percent.
0: Yeah, it's very so, inconsequential. Example, in British
1: Columbia, you have about 100, I guess the latest number is somewhere around 110 or so deaths per day in BC from all causes. It, when you look at the number of deaths that are there that have been linked with COVID, and not necessarily from COVID, but with COVID, you're looking at about maybe three deaths at the peak.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Right. And now you're probably looking less than one and a half, one death. So, so
0: I guess back to the whole question of gain of function, if this is a genetically modified virus, it sure wasn't very effective because it did not cause excess deaths and miraculously, the flu disappeared. So, uh, you know, I can, when I hear people say, "What is COVID?" I think COVID was a mechanism to shut us all down, to shut down business, well, to I, shut I, down the mom and pop, to to get people away from each other. We were not able to mix for two years, and they yeah. alienated. I think I think COVID. Well, you, is a you're mechanism.
1: talking about the conspiracy, and I think the well, reality. Not,
0: is, yeah, it is a conspiracy. I think the reality is that
1: that you have all these different players. Mm-hmm. That are trying to push different agendas, whether mm-hmm. it's it's all these transgenderism, the mm-hmm. World Economic Forum, mm-hmm. you know, there's all these different different players. Mm-hmm. And when you have a chaotic situation, this is actually an opportunity to actually create change. When you have a stable situation, people are very comfortable with the mm-hmm. way things are. Mm-hmm. You don't want to change things. So, so when you have this fear and you've got this, this upheaval, basically in societies, mm-hmm. then people with their own special agendas are going to push them. Exactly. And this is, I think, exactly what we've seen.
0: I think that you know I agree with you. And and you look, there was a very interesting report that showed why did people get the vaccine? Less than ten percent said they they took it for health reasons. Right. Ninety percent said. Because the government threatened to remove their jobs, Mm -hmm. threatened to, uh, you know, permit not block them from travel, block them from go to school, you know, university, it was Mm -hmm. the threats by our government, which tells me, our government Mm -hmm. is not is not acting on our behalf anymore. Our government has gone rogue and is acting against us. Because they certainly, if ten percent of people only wanted to get the vaccine for health reasons, despite right. their efforts to instill fear in us, what does that tell you?
1: Yeah, what well, does that yeah, tell you? The other day it was kind of interesting i was I was watching um another uh, Sean Buckley was actually talking in a mm-hmm. seminar and and he um he was pointing out, you know with media that you know what is the when you look at russia with the news organization they have what what's the name of that news organization is pravda which which is means truth and, and it's the, and we have the same thing with cbc now right i mean I, coming in this morning with cbc i was listening to what they had to say but well, what were the topics what were they covering and it was very clear that it's just like a a, a media outlet to get the message you know there's something there about you know, global warming and gases, there was something there about, um, I guess the in, indigenous issues. It was, mm-hmm. it was, like, but the things that were considered news, you wonder, well, is this really relevant to us? That, for example, there was, I believe, um, a head of state in one of the countries in the world that was was sent to the hospital. I'm wondering, well, why is that making national news in in Canada, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the stuff that they're covering and selecting, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it just doesn't make any sense. And and so yes. they've become kind of like a a mouthpiece, essentially for the um, the government. And you know, Rodney Palmer. Paul Palmer. Yes, Rodney Palmer. He gave Palmer. a very interesting um, Citizen testimony the national, at the National Cancer, sorry, the National uh, Citizen Inquiry
0: fantastic
1: yeah and everyone
0: uh, needs to listen to that uh that expose
1: yeah i mean Incredible it's testimony. from from a veteran Absolutely. basically uh, news investigative news reporter mm-hmm. and uh and so we're we're that 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 national citizens inquiry it's actually um going to have a lot of information that should have been some of this kind of stuff that we would have seen in that for example, Emergency Measures Inquiry. Uh, we're going to learn a lot from this. And I, hopefully it'll open up people's eyes. But at least the historians are going to be able to go back and see this information that's been documented. And then we'll finally get a, an idea of well, what exactly happened here. You know, it's kind of like people are still reading books about World War II. Trying to figure out what happened 80 years later.
0: I'm Mm -hmm. sure that's
1: what's going to be happening here. No, I think
0: that now I agree with you. The National Citizens Inquiry is bringing all sorts of very interesting people to the front, sharing the truth. For those of us that have been seeking truth, I think it's been readily available. When people say, I had no idea, I think, what rock have you been under? If you can't figure out that mainstream media is a propaganda arm of the government, and and we're three years in here, and you haven't figured that out, you're, you're living in a very peculiar bubble. Yeah. Um, and it's time to wake up.
1: But well, I think that, that, that bubble I'm is really, bursting. And that
0: bubble is bursting. And when it My happens,
1: goodness. people will be able to see much better what's happened.
0: Yeah, but I think a lot of people don't want to wake up because they love their bubble, or they have a vested interest mm-hmm. in staying in the bubble. You know, I think a lot of people would rather have their income then expose the truth and be bold. So I think the vast majority of people are preferring to stay in their bubble, either subconsciously or consciously. Yeah, well, I, the, I think there's
1: know. that that tendency. But on the other hand, you know, I think Canadians do have this sense of freedom, and sometimes this, this is taken away. You know, the, the analogy is always given of the frog that's in the in the pot. Mm-hmm. They don't realize the temperature is increasing until it's mm-hmm. too late. Mm-hmm although I'm told that doesn't actually happen in real life. But nonetheless, the I think Canadians have had, we have a culture that's come from many generations and a lot of new immigrants that have come to escape this kind of uh, activity that the governments that they had to endure that were were repressive, totalitarian-type governments. And so I think... That a lot of the people here will react and they'll probably do it at the polls it'll be very interesting for example to see what happens in the u.s because um robert kennedy jr has now put his hat in the ring oh my god as a democrat as a democrat
0: you know what and he
1: might just pull it off with the trump supporters, right
0: what a what an interesting twist today Incredible. When I heard that, I, I'm actually very worried for him. Um, yeah, I'm. Yeah. I'm very and worried I have for the him. The thought
1: crossed my mind too.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. I don't understand why he's doing this, but.
1: Well, I understand uh, so... why he's doing it because, uh, like many of us that are volunteering and and spending a lot of time, we could be doing other things that are much mm-hmm. more enjoyable.
0: Much more. but, no, I but think... we're.
1: A lot of us have this sense that you know because that that social nature that that Mm -hmm. we have that that this this ability to connect and also to want to do good to to do something meaningful Uh, I think you know he's he sees that he's in a unique situation where he can have huge positive impact and so I think that's really his motivation I'm sure it's not for the money but Very I,
0: my, my worry would be, we, we've seen before in many countries, elections are rigged. So we're, chances are, whoever the globalist predator class would like to see in power will be in power. And that's just the way it is. And he should know that. Uh, yeah, no, so R. I don't I don't sad. quite understand I don't understand what possesses him to do this well, I admire you know, him the same
1: token how did Trump get to become president of the United States I don't think he was the first choice of the global elite I
0: I don't think no he wasn't I think that was a surprise I yeah. think that was unexpected but they certainly buckled down the second time round and and got everything coordinated to make sure even though it was he a was a close call yeah, I, I don't, I personally don't think there was much support for uh, Biden. I think the popular support was with Trump, but mm-hmm. I, you know, that that's a whole other conversation. Mm-hmm. But I guess the question to you is the the Canadian government, in your mind, are they trying to censor alternative opinions from the experts? What, what do you think is going on?
1: Well, they claim that it's really just to increase Canadian content, but... No, I think the problem is that this can easily be exploited to, to further push the narrative that the government wants to um, basically espouse. I, I, I think it's, it's dangerous, but you know what? There's other ways of getting information out. These are very effective technologies, but they're only effective when there's trust.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And when you see, for example... Most people are, but we look at the viewership and a lot of these TV stations, it's disappearing. You know, CBC, I'm sure, has lost a lot of their viewers. I was a great fan of CBC at one time. Um,
0: Me too, me too. And and BBC, Mm -hmm. I used to read The Economist every week. I love to read The New York Times. I mean, all of those publications that I used to read regularly, I no longer dip into it, it. They're propaganda publications. Why am I going to waste my time?
1: Well, this is what you're recognizing. And there's a lot of infomercials, basically that, you know, articles mm-hmm. that are written basically to promote a particular product or a line of thinking. I think there, this is a very interesting time with media. We may be seeing the emergence of, of new, Could be new technologies that allow the the spread of information maybe this is where social media has played a particular role but i think that you're going to be seeing more trust in individuals as opposed to organizations and we saw this in the states used to be with walter conkite for example you know if he said something people would listen because you know uh edward murrow you know, a lot of these these characters that had a, an integrity and they would try to, to at least they projected very well
0: well and, and i think back when i was younger i admired barbara from on on um, yeah. as it as it happens every day yeah. at 6 p.m she was my favorite journalist mm-hmm. or reporter because when she conducted an interview she got right down to the you know Brass sure. knuckles, and and conducted a very professional interview and asked the questions that were on my mind. she mm-hmm. She was an incredible journalist. It was a tremendous loss when when you know, when she was taken with cancer, yeah. uh, and relatively young. But those journalists don't exist anymore. The barber fronts well, of the world are not I, I think there they are do. no barber fronts, I think
1: <laughs> they do, but the platforms aren't there for them at this time. But, you know what's mm-hmm. happening with people, and this is what I'm kind of observing, with all of this um, social media, is that people are developing electronic shadows, or instead of shadows, maybe maybe they're lights. They 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 take certain individuals and they're very exposed because when they're recorded and they're saying all these things, what eventually happens over time is the patterns become very obvious to people and. People can be manipulated. There's there's people that are very good at, at uh, con men, for example, idea. But, you know, over time, there's a history there that builds up. And, and we're much more accountable today, I would say, because everything that we have is somehow on the internet somewhere you can be found. Mm-hmm. And you don't take very much that you present to try to to pull someone down. Mm-hmm. But but people they'll gravitate towards those people they think they can trust. So I think what will happen is over time, we will see that these individuals can have a lot of influence that's not dependent on the platform. So mm-hmm. I think you know, a good example would be Jordan Peterson, for example. Right? A lot of people listen to him. He has a lot of very intelligent things that he's said. That makes sense and resonate with the population. Uh, maybe it's a, a, a small segment at this point, but as time goes on and people see events transpiring as they do, then they'll recognize that, and then they can have huge influence. I really like the idea that he has, where he's trying to attract some some, I guess, um, people that are are influential that have you know, more critical thinkers to come up with a counter to the World Economic Forum as a think tank to try to help, you know, guide, you know, governments in directions that are, are a different agenda, let's say, from the one that the World Economic Forum pushes, where a lot of the funding for them is coming from the Bill Gates and other very rich people where you, you kind of wonder what their long-term goal is really. Mm-hmm. So,
0: I, I, I watch him with interest. I met him in Oxford mm-hmm. um, and spoke with him briefly. I'm watching him cautiously. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, proof will be in the pudding. But uh, certainly presenting anything as an option or as an alternative to the World Economic Forum agenda, in my mind, is a good thing, but whether or not, what what is motivating him, who is funding him, uh, I'm watching with caution, but we'll see, you know, we'll know more. But why do you think the Canadian government is censoring experts?
1: It's just embarrassing.
0: You think it's, be, or do you not think there's something even more sinister going on? Embarrassment is one thing, but they're censoring the top scientists, the top professionals in all sorts of industries, they're censoring them and now imposing legislation, Bill C-11. Yeah,
1: well-, well does, think,
0: does that not alarm you that that- Well, C-11 it,
1: alarms me, but I think the issue here is that they can't prevent these people from speaking, but what they can do is they can try to make it hard for them to have a platform to speak.
0: Well, I'm not so sure about that. Bill C-11, you can be put in prison and you can be mm-hmm. fined. Uh, I can't remember what the, the sum is. I think it's eight years in prison and a, a million dollars. That sounds rather extreme to me. What do you, yeah. How do you have a platform from, from prison?
2: Yeah, You, you well, know what I
0: mean? So uh, do you not view Bill C-11, how does that separate us from North Korea?
1: Yeah, I don't know if it goes that far.
0: Well what are what am I missing? The Senate suggested that they eliminate segments of it that monitor people like me on social media. Well, it went back to the House and they they didn't listen to the Senate. So a very dangerous form of bill C11 is being proposed now.
2: But it still It's has been to be thrown back by Senate. Yeah, though.
0: it has to be has, mm-hmm. passed by the Senate, but what in the what has happened to our country? What, what, why can people not express their opinions, especially the experts?
2: Well, right it, now, the experts are the to...
0: doctors, the politicians, yeah. not politicians, you know, people who are in the know in all sorts of industries, whether it's the climate industry, which is, you know, all of this climate nonsense, you listen to the real experts, no one thinks climate change is an issue. This is a narrative once again. But the experts that really are in the know are hushed up, they're threatened, they're silenced, they lose their tenure at universities, this is like a witch hunt in Canada and worldwide for anyone who is speaking truth, and Canada is passing legislation, Bill C 11, we are the new North Korea, as many people I meet abroad, refer to Canada as the new North Korea, how are we any different?
1: Well, I think there's a I think there I think you have to be careful not to extrapolate to that kind of an extreme.
0: But how okay, tell me, how are we different if you do not have freedom of speech? That is the most fundamental aspect of freedom, is it not? And democracy?
1: Yeah. Freedom well, of we, speech. I, I think that, it's that. hard to to prevent that from happening. What happens is you get like the rebel newses and other places where I mean, you have to, it's the content that's really interesting. What is it that they're actually saying? And you have to judge, is that in fact reasonable? Does it kind of fit like the... the but
0: nothing, but you know. nothing is reasonable. Look at what we did to unvaccinated people for a year and a half. We blocked them out of their work. We blocked uh-huh. them out of going to restaurants, theater. We blocked them from seeing family. We blocked them from going into hospital. We blocked them from visiting family members in hospital what has happened to our country look at the insanity this is insanity and this is not an accident
1: that is um i think a reflection of laziness on the part of the people that we should have been doing their homework to figure out whether these are okay this is
0: where i know when you're saying laziness yeah no this isn't lazy this is intentional but you know what it's so interesting to hear your perspective now i wanted to ask you two things if you are in Canada and you're not vaccinated, do you have any concerns about seeing a doctor?
1: If I'm not in Canada? And no, not no, in, no,
0: in Canada, if you're not vaccinated, because I don't want to ask you, but I'm, yeah. I'm assuming not. Are, do you have any concerns about seeing a doctor in Canada right now as an unvaccinated patient?
1: No, personally, no. Um, I, 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 my doctor knows that I'm not vaccinated.
0: Have they been pressuring you? My doctor has.
1: Um, I've been getting
0: countless emails saying. I think about my to doctor wasn't
1: quite ready to um, to look deeper at the situation. I think he's taking, you know, marching orders basically from the public health office. Public health mm-hmm. office seems to be getting their marching orders from just a few people, maybe in Ottawa, and some local academic researchers that have models that -hmm. project things that Mm -hmm. as we know that these models are completely ridiculous i mean a good example would be a publication that teresa tam herself was a co-author on was produced through the public health office uh canada public health and they modeled that had they not done the vaccine program And had not introduced the measures, the lockdowns and that, that instead of having somewhere, I don't know, it's around maybe 52,000 deaths in Canada, and that'd be with as well as from COVID, half of those are probably actually from COVID, based on Ontario public health data, for example, and BC data that we now have, the, they they basically suggested that we would have had 800,000 deaths in Canada.
0: Okay, so these are done these, what they did. Exactly. So this is exactly like the Neil Ferguson modeling that came out exactly. of, uh, you know, Imperial College in the UK. Neil yeah, Ferguson is a well-known, uh, you know, he's, he's a well-known fear monger, but the yeah. UK brought on Neil Ferguson to inflate the fear perfectly exactly. along with all. the Now this is in
1: retrospect. Know, this, well, is, in, this is, this is exactly. where they're saying that thank, you know, thank, yeah. you know, we did a great job. Like, like this morning, I was hearing, oh, our our economy in terms of the jobless rate is the, the lowest it's been for a long time. You know, five only five percent of the population can't find employment.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But you know, my question is: well, the, the jobs that are created are are these government jobs? Is, is is are we just increase the number of people that we're paying for from government, and yeah. now we're going to pay more taxes for those, for that? Mm-hmm. So, so I mean that's that's a different question. Mm-hmm. But but back to the thing about the um, the Teresa Tams prediction of eight hundred thousand deaths. This is more deaths than World War One, adjusted per capita more than the Spanish 1918 influenza, more than the deaths from World War II combined. And we know that the number of people that died were in this elderly age group, which represents actually a relatively small portion of our total population. So these extrapolations, you know, 800,000 people, you know, we're, we're, we're getting numbers that are you know about one and a half percent of the population would have died and then okay, so, i don't know one percent so i guess my rate, my which is so
0: i guess my question ridiculous. is Steve, if if these these models were ridiculous now we know it's insanity if you look at right. the data out of sweden lockdowns did not affect anything now the data is out sweden right. has the lowest death rate from COVID in all of europe so that's out but When you look at these models that are going, the modeling that's going on, did anyone think to pick up the phone and talk to Dr. John Ioannidis at Stanford, who is the expert on infection Mm -hmm. fatality rate? No, John Ioannidis was disregarded completely, and he's the world expert on infection fatality rate. So so why? Why?
1: in 2005, he was writing about a lot of this stuff.
0: So if we have people at the helm like Bonnie Henry and Dina Hinshaw, who don't even have the wherewithal to pick up the phone and call the major institutions that deal with pandemics, these people are ill-equipped to be in office, but not just ill-equipped. They are malicious and they obviously are, are acting on behalf of another power because this is not in our best interest these people you can't claim that bonnie henry didn't know the data
1: or i think she i think she knew the data she did make a point that in her in her autobiography that had she not done what she was told she'd be out of a job
0: okay so who was giving (laughs) who was she dancing to who who was
1: to, to to rick's uh sorry dick's um,
0: okay, so who is Adrian? Adrian, no, Adrian so who's Adrian, Adrian Dix answering? Has to? no
1: scientific background, never mind a medical background. So,
0: who do you think is controlling Adrian Dix? Who do you think?
1: I think he's just just. I think he watches the news on TV.
0: Oh, okay, See, <laughs> Steve, Steve. And, and okay, in- <laughs> Okay, I'm. I better send you some information on on some of these organizations that are controlling. You, you do do yes. you know that the World Economic Forum stated that they control half of our cabinet. You've heard that, right?
1: Yeah, I know the Canadian Okay, so do you,
0: under, do you understand the consequences or the ramifications of that? What that means?
1: Well, they can claim to do it, um, whether they do or not, I'm not oh, sure. There's
0: oh, no, there's no question. The only stupidity yeah. is that they actually admitted it. But I know, I know. there's no question who is Christine. running our country. We um, have corrupt characters who are running our country.
1: Uh, Some of them the, are on the board of directors, actually, the World Economic Forum. Yes, our, they are. Our, and Chris,
0: um, Krista Freeland is set Krista to be Freeland, the new, exactly. she's, she's set to be, you know, at the helm of the UN. Uh, yeah. So, or NATO, just a minute, I think it's UN. But anyway, we have such corruption at high levels here. This is, this is a banana republic, well, beyond a banana republic. I just throw up my hands, but I should ask you um, mm. one last little bit. I am very concerned about blood in Canada. Do you think we should be, would you have a blood transfusion from a vaccinated person? And if you wouldn't, what are you gonna do about it?
1: I I don't personally think there's that much risk. Uh, I can see one scenario where it might be problematic. Uh, If a person has uh, recently been vaccinated, who, well, here's here's the scenario I see as a problem. A person who has been vaccinated and has very high levels of SARS-CoV-2 antibodies, and they're giving blood to somebody who's in, who is about to have an operation, and they've just gotten vaccinated because they have to in order to be operated on, like a like a transplant or something. I would be concerned that that if they have a very high if the blood's containing very high levels of antibody, and, and by the way, you can go ahead and do a donate blood the same day that you've been vaccinated. Mm-hmm. So in that situation, you could anticipate a very strong immune attack in that individual who's already sick that receives that blood. Against their their the spike protein, that could be problematic. However, you know, blood is kept for many days, and um, the chances that a person has just been vaccinated and then goes and gives that blood is probably very very relatively low. So I, I I'm not concerned particularly about that.
0: But if someone has I'm not been worried vaccinated. about lipid
1: nanoparticles. It, so, because it's going to be very, very dilute. Because what happens is when you have those lipid nanoparticles in your own blood, they're going to fuse with cells very quickly, whether it's red blood cells or um, cells throughout your body. So, the actual concentrations after a couple of days in the blood itself is probably very low. So, so and you would, you, exosomes. You do not,
0: the the, the messenger RNA component you're you're in essence genetically modified so if it passes through blood through the milk of a mother to an infant why would it not readily pass from someone's blood that has been donated to another well i don't understand that it's passing through breast milk
1: well for example the 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 situation with the breast milk is Mm
2: -hmm.
1: let's say what we do know is that you can have some lipid um some lipid nanoparticles. Actually, I, we have determined that there's antibodies in breast milk in my own lab. But some of the the protein, the baby is going to be actually digesting it. It's not being injected into their blood per se. So, so the situation you're more concerned about is where you're actually putting blood from one person into the bloodstream of another person.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: And having that travel, if it's exosomes. These are the debris that's produced from the destruction of cells by the immune system when they're attacking spike producing um, cells. Those exosomes will have spike protein on them. I think that that itself it won't be genetic material that's in those to produce more spike protein. It'll actually act almost like an immunization of that person. So I don't see the spike protein being a problem. I think the blood Having sat around for a while, there will be degradation of the uh, lipid nanoparticles, and also like they'll fuse with red blood cells. Now, red blood cells they can produce proteins from RNA. They don't actually have any DNA. The uh, mammalian blood cells, unlike for example bird blood cells, which have nuclei and DNA. Uh, they're not able to divide your, you can produce some proteins from the RNA that's in them, but I think it's going to be very, very dilute. I don't think when you're transferring blood cells, there there is some plasma, but I think
2: mm-hmm. most of the
1: time there it's the cells that they're actually putting into people.
0: Well, the plasma is a whole too. other issue. I know that people that were vaccinated were not allowed to donate plasma.
1: That's So that's, I, that's
0: right. I would be very reluctant to have vaccinated plasma at this point, but vaccinated blood. So if you had the option well, to very donate. Well, very few
1: people today are actually going to be having any, because hardly anybody's getting vaccinated anymore. Um, no,
0: but if you, if you're going in for surgery and you have the option to donate your own blood in advance, which apparently yes. is available,
2: yes, possible. or,
0: or you have the ability during the surgery to have one of, I don't quite understand the technology, but somehow mm-hmm. it recirculates your blood. Um, they take your blood during the surgery and put it, I, I'm not quite sure how it works, but if you We're had probably, the choice to do that. They're probably
1: filtering it out. And yes, yes. And so, if you the the to,
0: so if you had the choice to do that. Mm -hmm. or you have the choice to have vaccinated blood presented to you, what would you choose?
1: Again, to me, I wouldn't be worried about it. So you
0: would not you would not choose to use the odds.
1: There's like when we talk about shedding phenomena, for example, I think it's three things. One, it could be actual virus because you're at higher risk of getting the virus soon after you're vaccinated. That's shown in Alberta health data. It could be the actual lipid nanoparticles, or it could be the shed um, remnants of cells that have been attacked that produce the spike protein, these exosomes I talked about. I don't see the exosomes as being a problem. I I think it's very unlikely that you would have SARS-CoV-2 virus that would be in the blood, it'd be tested for by PCR. If in terms of the lipid nanoparticles, like I say, most of that would be absorbed by the body, like a sponge. So when you get some blood from these people, unless it's right after they've been mm. vaccinated, a day or two, I, I don't think it's a, a big issue.
0: I would be terrified. I yeah. would rather, I, I, at this point, I I'd almost rather die than have vaccinated blood put in me. But um, the state of Montana passed a law that the vaccinated are not allowed to donate blood anymore.
2: Yeah, okay. I think I think that I is a very, very, but don't argue, forget to that me these, that most, this, most because people,
0: I guess the rationale is that we are dealing with a massive experiment. That's the rationale. In yeah, my mind.
1: But, but let's say you've got these people that are getting injected, you know, now, like a billion people with with a vaccine. That's a very concentrated dose of 10s of trillions of copies of the lipid nanoparticles. I would expect that when you're getting a blood sample, the, the blood that they're giving you from that individual, because remember, when you're you're being vaccinated, that individual, the amount of blood they're giving is is you know a few hundred mils. It's it's you've got four over four liters of blood. So so what you're getting is probably less than a fraction of a percent of what you're actually getting when you're vaccinated in your arm from a blood transfusion. So
0: But look at but look at all the people who contracted hepatitis from getting a, 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 well, a uh donation.
1: That's an active virus. Yeah, but can, but you've replicate.
0: got a I don't know. I think the they, lipid nanoparticles
1: can't replicate.
0: But you have I don't know. I think to me I'd be nervous, but Well, well, you know, I you guess get, it's a it's a personal choice. When you
1: I get infected for example with In fact, this is the interesting thing. When you look at most vaccines that involve attenuated forms of the virus, the amount that you're actually getting can be something from 50 to a few thousand copies of the virus. That's, That's all you actually need to evoke a full immune response that may protect you for the rest of your life. That's why when you're injecting tens of trillions of lipid nanoparticles, which are about the same size as these viruses, by the way. Well, you know that's a that's a totally different, you know, um, playing field in terms of just the sheer numbers of these lipid nanoparticles. But again, like I say, the your body's like a sponge; it'll the cells will take it up, and the amount that will actually be in the blood that will be transferable to this person to cause a problem. It's going to be a tiny, tiny fraction of a percent of what you get with an actual vaccine.
0: Yeah. But, but to me, I the guess risk
1: is very low. The
0: risk is low. Well, I know that organizations like Safe Blood, which are creating networks all around the world for people mm-hmm. to access pure blood, unvaccinated blood, yeah. those organizations are growing very quickly as an unvaccinated yeah, person, there again, is it's, no it's, there's, there's no a fear
1: way. factor that's involved. There's,
0: but I think it's legitimate. I mean, look at all of the shedding. I have countless, it's anecdotal, but I have countless friends who have problems mm-hmm. having being intimate with their partner. They've all you know, they might be in their 50s and they're bleeding profusely. How do mm-hmm. you explain that?
1: Well, you know, you it is possible to have stigmata. Excuse me stigmata so this is? is where you know someone has blood coming out of their palms now this is a very interesting phenomena because there's such a, a high faith this is where the power of the mind can actually cause blood to come from palms now we don't think that that's probably you know, connected with the christ in the sense that well we think that probably if nails went through the palms you wouldn't be able to support the body on a on a cross it's more likely through you know where you have below the palms but the person's mind that's the vision they have and the power of the mind if you are if you're concerned then you can actually have things happen that can be partly psychosomatic has but a Steve Steve
0: Steve a lot of the people i have spoken to their spouse has not revealed that they yeah, were vaccinated so these spouses go hunting for a card because their spouse has told them that they're not vaccinated but all of a sudden mm-hmm. in their 50s they're bleeding profusely they go hunting for vaccine cards and find those cards hidden in their husband's oh, that's wallet, interesting. okay? So yeah. there's nothing psychosomatic going on, but again, I direct mm. you to Catherine, Jack, um, oh dear, Christian Northrop because she is gathering data on shedding and the shedding, the shedding effect, I think well, is it's, a, it's
2: a It's a real it's phenomenon. A real,
0: real, real yeah, no, I've, uh, I've been to this
2: is This is, people. I think we're dealing,
0: with, this is a bioweapon. You know, uh, this, this, we're, we're dealing with something which it's like the vaccine that was rolled out in rats in Australia. They created a vaccine that killed the rats and it killed all of the rats in the, co- not colony, I don't even know what the word is. They designed a vaccine that killed all of them. Or, oh yeah, or,
2: I mean, or you sure know, that
1: so
0: they, the, really the technology is there.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's this is feasible. what we're this
0: is what we're dealing with. If they use yeah. it on rats in Australia, why would they not use it on us in this well, vaccine? <laughs> yeah, uh, of course.
1: I, I think people do experiments to mm-hmm. see and like, gain a function.
0: Gain it, a function. It doesn't mean
1: that they're mm-hmm. designing it to to kill people.
0: No, it's no. I think it, do it, it appears to be in the vaccine. There's no question. Shedding is a component of this vaccine. Is it an accident. There's too many accidents going on here, Steve. There's way too many accidents. These, these, these can't just be... A... How do you create a vaccine even when you're testing it? You are mandated to, to report in Pfizer. You have to report on how the vaccine was affecting everyone in your household. Have you ever heard of that in a test group? Why would they have asked you to report on, the, on how the vaccine affected everyone in your family? Why would they have included that question? Doesn't that seem peculiar?
1: Yeah, well, I didn't, I'm not aware of that. Oh, well, here, that, that's but...
0: definitely. But you know what? I'll direct you to Dr. Naomi Wolf because she is really up on all this. But yeah. my last question for you is, what keeps you awake at night? What, 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 all, <laughs> all your work but are, are there any are there any burning issues that you wake up in the middle of the night and think like what what are you most alarmed about right now
1: uh, I, I my biggest concern is the next generation Um, in terms of how they've been influenced The opportunities that are there for them going forward in the future, the impacts that artificial intelligence and other technologies are having that may make their lives perhaps not as rich as we've been able to experience, that they won't have the economic means, they won't have the the travel, the opportunity to meet people in other places in real life and physically they'll be kind of confined to the internet and they may be somewhat satisfied but only because they don't really know what they're missing and the transgender phenomena is very intriguing to me because it's kind of like people another person pointed this out and i think they're right you know Either you you believe that God didn't design us properly and we ended up being male or female by mistake from what we wanted to be, or you take the evolutionist perspective and there is no God, and somehow hundreds of thousands of years or millions of years of evolution To have even sexual selection itself become one of the main driving forces in macroscopic organisms, almost all creatures that you can see, they reproduce sexually, whether it's a plant or or an animal. So we have, we're evolved to be like this. So to have the idea that somehow there's some sort of a mistake we're in the wrong body to me when you look at statistics on this factor um we're talking about one and maybe tens of thousands historically are are children that grow up thinking that they're in the wrong body but now we're seeing as much as 10 percent of kids that are are wondering i don't like my particular you know um sex and i want to change it and it uh, seems to me there's a lot of peer pressure on them and we're going to end up with these children making mistakes that later in life are irreversible mm-hmm. and so i think what's happening is when you have that kind of situation the 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 degree of intimacy that you have with a male female partners And don't get me wrong, there's intimacy that exists also that's there with with, um, what we call uh, trans, well, well, cis relationships where, you know, lesbian or, or, or gay male, you have that intimacy. But in this case with the transgenderism, where in fact, it may not even be possible for these to have orgasms, you kind of wonder, well, do you develop that kind of connectivity that is possible with male-female relationships? Or even, even with gay relationships, their organs are not being altered. Their bodies are the same. Their minds may be in a different orientation from most people. But to me, this is a very dangerous direction that I see that that they're gonna be disconnected from having that kind of connectivity that's there with the opportunity of intimate type relationships. And they're just not connecting physically. They're not even as friends and groups. You know, with Facebook, you've got a situation where, you know, it's the it may call it face mask because you don't know what you're dealing with, with this other individual at the other other end and and you see this exploitation and i think what's happening out of all of this is that these youth they're looking for that connectivity and they're being disappointed because we we know that people that hang out on social media a lot they have actually fewer friends like like real friends that they'll get together with and 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 share you know intimate knowledge with so there's a frustration there they're seeing a a portrayal that's in in on a a screen that you know they're showing all the great things that your friends are doing and it's just creating um envy uh not jealousy but 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 envy you know that that they they don't want their friend they're they're happy that their friends have these good things happening Mm -hmm. they they're, they're not they're not they don't want it from them they just want to have the same experience themselves so there's just a lot of things that are happening simultaneously that our youth are being exposed to and they're being the most brainwashed in the schools right now and in the universities they're they're losing their critical thinking skills they're the most vulnerable to to propaganda and and i just the future to me just doesn't Oh, it's just not as it's not going to pan out as well for them as we've been able to experience, and to me that makes me very sad, and that's why we have to be more active in trying to help you know these this next generation, which I think is is uh, is going to be in, in bad shape, you know do physically. You, do you think
0: physically, emotionally, mentally,
1: spiritually?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Do you feel that this is an agenda of the government and educational institutions and schools to push this agenda?
1: No, I, 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 I think my colleagues all mean to do well. I think that they they um, they bought into some of this stuff. I mean, because you know the 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 most liberal environments are universities. This is where you you have a lot of people that, um, maybe they're a bit sequestered you know they're not out there dealing with a lot of people in the real world and the struggles it's uh, mm-hmm. you, the university has its own struggles but it's it's kind of contained like like, like you're dealing with other people that are pretty like-minded mm-hmm. and you're not having to deal with people that have different life experiences that go to university you know like like. It, For example, at UBC, for example, you know, there's a huge disconnect between male and female. You know, you have about 58% of the students are female, you have 70% of the staff that are female. And when you look, for example, at the males that are there, um, only about one in six are actually Caucasian males. And when you look at the, the lower mainland of British Columbia, it's about one in three are Caucasian males. So there seems to be kind of like a real, um, I wouldn't say discrimination per se, at least not an intentional one, but I'm sure if you're a male student at the university that's of a European background, you're feeling like a real um like you're being dumped upon as being responsible for all the evil things that have happened in our society and uh no, they they're innocent they 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 didn't they didn't do those things they they grew up in an environment like everybody else and they're uh they're they're seeing themselves represented as as basically again the source of all the problems in the world today this is why people like Jordan Peterson appeal to to so many of the young males.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Right. Well, where does this, where does all this uh, twisted, uh, how would I say, agenda come from? Do you not see that this is coming from government? They're pushing this agenda.
1: Mm, Our government, government is, is pushing it. It hasn't.
0: P- it p- hasn't p- happened organically.
1: Democratic c- countries we we elect the people that are going to be our leaders now we may be manipulated into perhaps making some poor choices but it's really a reflection of our society itself
0: Mm, i'm not sure i agree i think it's come i think it's a top-down situation actually when jordan peterson spoke Mm -hmm. uh, at the oxford union i asked him this question which actually ended up going viral and i said What would you suggest if you had five minutes with with Trudeau? This is about five years ago. If you mm-hmm. had five minutes with Trudeau, what would you advise him? Um, because he is trying to be the most woke leader in the world. This is way back five years ago. So that was my question to Jordan Peterson, and Jordan Peterson's answer was: Trudeau needs to understand that he's giving special status to special groups, and in this sense is uh causing tribalism and mm-hmm. i think that this is a very top-down initiative by the likes of, of, of well, trudeau this is not something that I, has grown organically i
1: agree I with believe. them that it, it's fragmenting our society it is at, at it a time absolutely but
2: mm-hmm.
1: you no know, it makes no sense to me i've never seen so much racism as now
2: yeah
1: you know, i grew up in vancouver it was very multicultural as you know my 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 wife is First of all, it's Chinese. My kids are half Chinese. Most of my friends are non-European. But I, I can't help but but observe the, the phenomena of virtue signaling by promoting other peoples, whether male, female, uh, different um, sexual orientation. Like, like there's all these... These these minority groups that collectively is actually a pretty big majority, <laughs> right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so when you when you start to look at well who's being excluded, um, I think people have good intentions, but they don't realize the very actions that they're taking by by promoting certain groups and and effectively discriminating against others. You can't promote some without putting others down
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and if you're
1: promoting everybody um, unless you're a male caucasian well then you really are discriminating against a group yeah right? but
0: the courts are saying that you can't discriminate against there is no such thing as discrimination against a caucasian person which right. that is quite telling what does that mean of course there's discrimination right now uh, you well, know, well, well, for scripts,
1: example, so. you know, one of the things I found interesting was uh, the government, if I wanted to have a program to have a summer student in my lab, you know, that would get a, 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 a an award to do this, the only applications that the Canadian Institutes for Health Research, our national funding body for medical research, They will only fund you if you are a black applicant.
2: Okay, this is
0: (laughs) this is absurd.
1: Not based not
0: based on merit, based on color.
1: Exactly. This this is the
0: insanity. Or,
1: for example, if you uh, in the last few years, if you wanted to have the university put someone forward for what we call these uh, Canada Research Chairs, so this is funding new professors. In the country, um, they had to be either female, they had to be um, in a minority group, or they had to be with, um, and that would include like the sexual orientation or your ethnic origin, or handicapped. Well, okay. the, if, if, if you if you well, well who's left?
0: Well, exactly. <laughs> and this this, but but I guess this so is so here a male, a male
1: Caucasian don't bother you can't we won't accept your application my professor
0: but this is this is very driven by trudeau and company and this is very damaging and back to the whole issue of the agenda in the schools most parents do not want their young children exposed to any of this nonsense but the parents attend the school board meetings and the school board hushes them up turns off the mic and tells them to go away So Canadians are not driving this nonsense. This is a top down agenda that is coming directly from very, very dark characters like Trudeau and company. But it's it's a directive that's coming beyond. I mean, this is an international phenomenon. But this is very, very damaging. We are living in such strange times right now. But it's so do you think we're in a spiritual war? I see this as a spiritual war. We well, that's we, a very
1: good is, question. I mean, yeah. I, my my thinking on this. You know, I'm I'm somewhat religious. I mean, I I I've got a Christian background. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't go to church. I, I I'm thinking about the question all the time, but I don't have any you know firm conclusions about this. I do recognize that that in the U.S they have a large one of the largest numbers of people with a christian orientation usually they say they are in europe it's it's very low it's probably less than 20% mm-hmm. um that are are actually uh, religious now most of the people don't believe in, mm-hmm. in the existence of god i i don't know where to look for these things as a scientist you know i'm, I'm looking to the world around me to give me answers but A spiritual war, good and evil.
2: Mm -hmm. You know, a Mm -hmm. lot of it's got to
1: do with how you define those things.
0: But do you not feel as though we are in the thick of something that is historic in my lifetime? Oh yeah, I have. I I have never seen the most
1: in my lifetime. It's dark. Coming up to sixty-six, I've never seen the turmoil.
0: The turmoil. It's and I. I feel as though dark. And evil is becoming more pronounced. Mm-hmm. And goodness and light is also becoming. The, the contrast between dark and light, I think, is becoming more accentuated. So mm. it feels yeah. like a spiritual war that we're in. And I, I wonder where this is going to end. It feels as though well, we I, are.
1: I uh, think we are doing, certainly in a situation of totalitarian. There's a nationalism, and then there's globalism. Yes. And the globalism agenda is one where basically it's very socialistic,
0: or and, or to, or tyrannical,
1: yeah. or totalitarian, and, 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 or and, fascist. And fascist.
0: And even sorry.
1: <laughs> even the Nazis—they're they're more. Mm-hmm. When you look at the extremes, mm-hmm.
2: you, know, you have mm-hmm.
1: communism, and you got basically these dictatorships,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and 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 the two might seem very different, but they're tactics are the same and somewhere in the middle there's some sort of reasonable opportunity that you can improve either way to try to improve your society so that that and and to me my I, i see the biggest failings is that we are looking to always improve the human condition but we don't recognize that is the whole environment there's we share the planet with other animals and resources
2: mm-hmm.
1: and so there's some sort of a balance some people say that well the native peoples they have some of the answers to those questions but i i'm rather skeptical about that i think they their technology never really developed really over tens of thousands of years to the time that the the europeans came in there was trade that was going on for hundreds of years before that through the north. That's why when you look at a lot of the native culture, they there are even with the beads, th- those, are no, those are not really beads that they make. They actually got those from, from trade routes from Europe, right? So there's always been an influence. But this idea that they're stewards of the land, and that's why it was able to be... Um, preserved i i just don't buy that i think it's they just weren't very efficient at expanding their populations because they had to deal with disease and and war and all these other things that the people in europe or asia or or the um africa experienced and when you had the the europeans come in we were just you know it's guns metal germ steel idea Mm -hmm. you're a diamond
0: yeah, yeah, Jared Diamond. It was a, it yeah, was a superior Jones.
1: technology. And that's mm-hmm. how it's always evolved, not just within you know Europe coming to, to the Americas, but it's always been like that all throughout the world in different mm-hmm. continents where you have different groups come in and take over. I mean, it's kind of interesting. Horses, for example. Um, when did we first start riding a horse? Well, that we think is central... Central Europe, uh, the steppes, you know, maybe around Ukraine and stuff like that. That's when we first started riding horses. Now, that was a tremendous technological advance for us, you know, to be more efficient at riding these horses. And we think that 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 civilization, which we have very little historic records from, at one point was an empire that spread up. And the language that we have, the Indo-European language root was spread from these people but once that technology got absorbed into those other conquered communities then there was no strategic advantage of that group that started in the first place the same happened with with the romans for example when their empire collapsed well what collapsed them wasn't these you know barbarians that were uncivilized they were roman citizens from the the territories that came in and got rid of that central rule by Rome. And so this is this is the the situation. So I'm do sure you feel do you feel
0: right now then we are seeing do you sense that something is underfoot? Have you ever sensed anything like this in your lifetime?
1: Oh, there's always been movements, you know, I grew up in the 60s where you know, I was young, but we had hippies.
0: Yeah, but no, but don't you find that we're, this is a whole different level. Do, do you not feel that this is unprecedented right now?
1: Well, I think, you know, there was always the government, you know, pushing the military agenda, for example, in the US.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And
1: and that had huge influence on the TV that we watched, whether they were mm-hmm. drama programs or the news.
2: Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm.
1: I think this is, these kind of techniques have been used for a long time.
0: Maybe it's just accelerating ties, now. Tides
1: turn in different directions, yeah.
0: but it feels it feels pretty intense right now.
1: Yeah, because we're we're probably amongst the few that are seem to feel like we're persecuted or ignored. <laughs> mm-hmm. Whereas not I, only I think, not
0: only persecuted, I think other people think this
1: is a wonderful time. No, finally, yeah, well, for no. people
0: that aren't aware of what's going on, life is as per normal, but. For those of us who are, you know, aware and paying attention, we're on the cusp of financial catastrophe. Yeah. We are seeing our with the WHO pandemic treaty and, and the IHR, all of those shenanigans going on. That's extremely alarming. Before we close, then, can I just ask you quickly, what do you think of the WHO uh, the, the negotiations right now in and modifying things and with the pandemic treaty and
1: yeah, the international no, I'm, not, I'm not in favor of what they proposed, and thank mm-hmm. God the um, African countries rejected it. They're going to try to come back with it again, and Canada has signed on onto it originally, and probably would like to continue to do that.
0: Crazy, right? There's, eh? there's certain the
1: efficiencies world? that come from 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 centralized government and that, but the problem is they've demonstrated with the handling of the COVID-19 pandemic, in my mind. How poorly they actually operate!
0: How incompetent!
1: How incompetent! And, and, and look at, at and States. and
0: look at who's at the helm. You know, you've got an right. Ethiopian criminal, Tedros, yeah. should be in prison. He's yes. a well-known I Ethiopian. He's not that. even he's not even a physician. And no. then you have Bill Gates and company as one of the biggest funders, besides right. Germany and the U.S. So you have a corrupt private organization calling the shots on international health. That there's a problem right there. I hope right. that Canada just pulls out. We shouldn't be involved with the who.
1: Well, I, I think what we we have or should have, in the past we had it, is you bring medical experts together to discuss problems. And then there's a sharing of knowledge. And then these people go back to go their... Go back and make their,
0: decisions. And then they make decisions that make
1: sense mm-hmm. for, for the environment that they have. Because exactly. every different place has different issues. Mm-hmm. And so I think it I think you want to share that knowledge and sometimes resources. And so having an organization that brings people together is good. Yeah. It should not yeah. be the decision making no. body. Well, that it is done exa- across the globe.
0: I agree with you. The decision making body with authority right. to call the shot. This is the scary bit. Is this new this new treaty allows the who to call the shots on all the member countries that's dangerous because they are private and they are controlled by big pharma and some very nefarious characters so it's i i i'm absolutely for decentralization but you know what canada has signed up it's so corrupt oh you know what i better i better (laughs) i think we better end But you know what, Dr. Steve Pellick, this has been such uh, an invigorating conversation.
2: Um,
0: And I really appreciate you taking the time and sharing your knowledge and expertise and opinion on all sorts of matters.
1: Yes. And
2: we
0: covered a lot. So thank you so much for joining me in this conversation. And I look forward to chatting with you again.
1: Yeah, no, thanks. Again, like I said, I start off. It's always a real pleasure, <laughs> uh, and it makes me think oh, okay. some of some things. These uh,
0: yes, that's too. right. Lots of food for thought. Sure. Okay, thank, thank you. you.